Welcome back, Martini Giant fans. This is episode number 47, which is Steven Spielberg's 1977 film, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which I'm sure you all know and are very eager to find out what Martini Giant thinks of this film. I don't think there's going to be too many surprises there. What is a surprise is the pairing that we did, or more specifically, Dan Thronded. As you guys know, we've been sort of trading off ideas about pairing interesting or doing interesting pairings. And uh, Dan decided to pair uh, Close Encounters with Ethan Hawke's documentary from 1915 called Seymour, An Introduction. I recommend you guys watch this. Uh, well, first of all, you should always watch Close Encounters. Always take the opportunity to watch it. Uh, but do watch uh, Seymour, An Introduction as well. It's a very interesting documentary. Very good. Now, of course, as I mentioned, this was uh, Dan Thron's recommendation. Uh, of the pairing and the irony is of course that he had massive audio issues as he's been having from the past now i will tell you this we recorded this uh, a while ago and he has since solved those audio issues uh so this is probably the time where i was ready to flip the table on everything and give up almost on the podcast until we've actually solved all these problems so now our audio is much much better uh and we're not going to do it but here's what's happened i'm going to give you guys a heads up Podcast goes fairly well for a pretty long period of time, and then all of a sudden, Dan cannot maintain an internet connection. Uh, and uh, we lost about 17 minutes in the middle, where we talk a little, mostly about uh, Seymour, uh, and it was pretty good. Um, and then it is mostly Eric and I with no Dan, but Dan is on chat, and actually, that is the best part of the podcast. <laughs> because there's no Dan. I'm just kidding. No, it's it's actually really good. So there's going to be a big portion in there where you don't have any Dan. Um, and uh, But he is engaging with us in chat, and we acknowledge his engagement. It's quite funny. Quite funny, I have to admit. Uh, anyway, uh, we are going to nickname this the Xanax and Chardonnay episode, and you'll find out why uh, during, the, uh, <laughs> during the podcast itself. All right. With that, please enjoy Close Encounters of a Third Kind and... See more. An introduction. So, so here's the situation. I started recording because you know what's going on. Uh, I am recording from my bedroom today. Did you break a leg there. or something? You're back. No, because Brady um, you the room that I normally record in, which is Brady's room, which is generally the better soundproofing room, mm. uh, because I missed scheduled uh lily is doing her karate zoom karate in there right oh cool so uh she's doing karate in there so i have to take the bedroom and so karen's going out on a hike and she ordered pizza so she says if there's pizza coming friday's usually our pizza night uh and she goes uh pizza coming i'll bring you a slice so that's really what's going on but i went fishing early this morning so i'm good you're feeling um, you feel good. psyched? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, it's ridiculous. It's, I mean, I was, I'll show you. I mean, this is, wake up in the morning and, you know, your view is, you know, that. Yeah, man. Wow. You know, like, yep, six o'clock in the morning, I'm in Malibu and I'm on a beach and there's no one on the beach. And... It's that I can't I can't share that picture. (laughs) 
So the guy, did I tell you guys, like, I met my, like, my new sensei of fishing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he doesn't allow me to post pictures that show where we are because he doesn't want anyone to find our secret spot <laughs> on, on social media. Because if it goes up on social media, then a thousand people will find it and it'll destroy the spot. And yeah, but doesn't found. Facebook show where you are? Uh, no. I, I remove all the uh, the GPS tags on the pictures before I post them. And I only point pictures that are pointing towards the ocean. Mm-hmm. So you can't really make any landmarks behind us. It's it's a whole thing. <laughs> he was telling me about it. He's like, yeah, there's some great fishing spots that have got destroyed because someone posted a picture of some awesome catch. And uh, it went up on social media and it got destroyed. I'll give you guys an example. So uh, someone caught a leopard shark, a really big leopard shark, like four or five foot leopard shark uh, on the beach um, and posted it on social media. And you look at the picture and you can see the Santa Monica Pier right behind them. So you know exactly where they caught that fish, Mm. right? And apparently now you go to Santa Monica Beach and there's like 20 people trying to catch like in that same spot trying to catch leopard sharks which is ridiculous let me ask you a question why would you catch that shark if it's a leper shark you don't want to get leprosy leopard oh Oh. leopard yes yes okay that makes sense now yeah so yeah yeah fins falling off that's how you make the shark fin shoot (laughs) that's right leper sharks and the fins fall right off you need to get the right leper shark yeah, that right. way you don't even have to kill it. You just just it peel the right fins off. right off. It's right off the bone. <laughs> right off the, right off the bone. And just let it release it. It's fine. Okay. Um, I've been watching. I watched. Uh, I told you we've been watching Jaws. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we, and then we saw Jaws two. Oh yes. Y- yes. Big difference. Big difference. Yep. Mm-hmm. A, a slight decline. A sl- yeah. They and then you go to Jaws 3, you don't think it can get any worse. It's like the Trump administration. You don't think it can get any worse, and then there's Jaws 3. Oh, I'll, <laughs> tell, you, I'll tell you what got worse, because we, we just like to draw together, and we put a movie on the back. I put on with her Zohan the other night. <laughs> What's that? That is... Don't miss with the Zohan. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was really a depressingly bad movie. And then Sharknado. Oh, what about the Meg? The Meg. Is we got to watch there. the Meg, Meg next. Yeah. The problem I have with the Meg is it wasn't bad enough. Sharknado is definitely. That's bad enough. Like, really bad. An After Effects tutorial like throughout the whole thing. <laughs> like what not to do. It's like, God, they didn't clean their mats up. <laughs> like spray I mean, the, the, the camera, the scenes. Uh, I expect that's what the, the, what the commentary is, is an After Effects tutorial. I think that's a really good idea for a Sharknado. If you break it down, it's like, well, you see, obviously, they didn't pre-comp the comp. before they brought it into the next. Yeah, yeah it's unbelievable. <laughs> and the grading issues. and But they shot it for nothing, and it's made four, it's made four billion worldwide? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. gorgeous. It's the guys from Anonymous, right? Anonymous Studios? I don't yes. know. Like Who are, that, they're geniuses, yeah. whoever they are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a, I, uh, uh, so David, property. David Tracy, who is, uh, who I work with, you guys know David, you will uh, yeah, I know, know that yeah, Thrawn definitely knows David. He's friends with the director of Sharknado. Wow. That's brilliant. Genius. 
And so uh, he, he, I've been trying to get him on the podcast for a while, but hopefully they deliberately did it that way. Or they're just like, let's try to make a movie. Yeah. They're like, no, how, how far can we push this and, and just come in super cheap and see what we can do. All that cop footage is just like from stuff on the street, you know, they're driving around just shooting. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a hugely entertaining movie. Like they, they, I can only assume that they know it. It's also dumb. And bad, like the movie. Oh, they know. They know. Oh, of yeah. course they do. I mean, why yeah. would you make the sequel to Sharknado is like sharks running down a ski slope? Like, yeah, exactly. Like it's, yeah, I mean, it's like it's, so. It's it gets into the realm of like that's not actually a bad movie. It's just a pretend bad movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, like gives yeah. you the feeling of watching a bad movie. Oh, while you think this is this is crazy? I'm going to show you something even ridiculous. Right. Like, imagine trying to ski away from sharks. <laughs> But I, you know, exactly. when I watched it, 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 it was bad, but you knew that the actors knew it was bad and they yeah. just were doing it, you know, as much as they can without cracking a smile. But I swear they're, I looked at some of the setups. They're like, yeah, just one take quickly. Just come in the room and say, oh my God, you need to get out of here. And it's like, okay, it's done. Next. It was like, wow. <laughs> and the setup yep. on the car setups was the exact same setup you guys had for the V-Ray film. With the oh, yeah. the boomed oh, yeah. out back, you know, and the camera just pat. <laughs> yep, that's good. <clears throat> and that's then good. cut to, you know. Are you saying their V-Ray IRL short was not professionally done? No, it <laughs> it looked great, but the same backlight. <laughs> the same to it. <laughs> but it was yeah. in a Jeep or something. It was the same, what? almost like yeah. the same amount of people. Yeah, why bother with a green screen? Just blow out the background. Back, <laughs> and then they're shaking when the camera, but out. then. The back is lit well, you know, blooming light, and then they cut to thing and it's stormy out. It's like, wait a minute. And then it's back to them, you know, it's super bright and, you know, the sun's behind them. But it was, it was definitely, you could tell they shot it real fast and they made a ton of money. I mean, to, to be fair, maybe there was an homage to, uh, to Jaws, which also has absolutely no continuity shot to shot with the weather. <laughs> They'll be out on the button. It's like sunny, cloudy, sunny, sunny, cloudy. So that was the big. You can't control that. The thing with Jaws, it's so cut so well. Exactly. It's it's such a beautiful film that you don't notice. Exactly. It's really a this is great, the reason why great I'm film. It up is because it doesn't fucking matter. Continuity does not matter if you're doing a good job with your movie. Like who yeah. cares if the sky had clouds in it before? If you're paying attention to that stuff, it better be the last thing on the list. <laughs> like you have to yeah. be making jaws first and then pay attention to whether or not there's spots in the sky. Oh, I want to put a note out there, by the way, just sorry to, to do this. Um, so I'm putting out my Doug Trumbull podcast is coming out on CG garage uh, on Monday. So, but this will come out later, but whatever. Um, but I, I re-listened to it and it was very interesting. Doug is awesome. And I talked to him about, the funniest part of that whole podcast was when I talked to Doug and I said, uh, you know, he's talking to me about all of this high frame rate, super high quality filmmaking that he's passionate about. And I told him that mm -hmm. I absolutely loved uh, uh, Brainstorm. But the first the first time I watched it was on VHS tape, which is like the epitome of how not to watch that film. <laughs> right. Uh, but anyway, he said uh, he uh, he said that show scan was supposed to be like the the brainstorm stuff was supposed to be in um uh in show scan 
Mm-hmm. Right. Sorry, the brainstorm was the, when you look at the brainstorm stuff through the thing. It was supposed to be sixty frames a second show scan, right. uh, but it never was. The studio never sprung for that. Right. So it was it was still shot at twenty four for that stuff. Right, right, a, right. They did a different aspect ratio. Just weird. Gag. Yeah. Yeah. Like they use a really um, short lens and and a and a wider aspect ratio. Yeah, it's, it just, yeah it's just it's weird because it crops differently and, and it's just weird looking it throws you so, off yeah so it was interesting that he uh, that is like eh, he's like he, so he he's been on this like 50 year crusade to try to like fix films <laughs> yeah <laughs> to be correct uh, I don't know guy. if he's ever going to do it uh, but anyway it's really interesting uh, we should talk about what we're talking about this week that's right. Which is uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. By Steven Spielberg, a young director who by was really making Spielberg. his way. By Steven Spielberg. And Hudson Hawk. And Hudson Hawk. <laughs> Wasn't that that's right? right? Yeah, that's the one. Isn't that what it is? Yeah, we all agreed on that, right? Great. <laughs> With Jenny Aiello. I'm kidding, Eric. <laughs> what is it? It was a Seymour. <laughs> it was Seymour. Yeah. <laughs> but it, when, he said, when he put out, like, Ethan Hawk, because I read Hudson Hawk, it's like, what? Like Hudson Hawk. Oh, there's a connection, I swear. (laughs) With Bruce Willis. One of the worst films ever made. Not so good. (laughs) Not the greatest. Not so good. No, so it's uh, uh, Seymour, an introduction, was the uh, documentary. Directed by Ethan Hawk. Directed by by Hudson Hawk. By Ethan Hawk, not (laughs) Hudson Hawk. Uh, Directed by Ethan Hawk, which was an excellent documentary. Um, and I will get into that a little bit, uh, but uh, close encounters, man. I'm glad we we're bringing that to the table, oh, it's because that's something we've talked about a lot, um, and it's also a Doug Trumbull film. That's true. It, well, uh, in terms of the visual effects, yeah. um, and uh, and is a legendary. So um, I was. Really, it was interesting. I talked about it with Brady, you know, who's like, you know, 10 mm-hmm. uh, or 11. Wow, well, I was late now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's 11. And he was looking at it and going, he's like, the, he's like the, the spaceships were amazing in that film. And, you know, this is some one who's seen a lot of, you know, very big CGI stuff. Right. And he goes, Aliens, not so much. We're not so good. <laughs> but the spaceships were amazing. Right. And he's right. Like, there was something about the way that Doug Trumbull did is to disguise it through lens flares and, and, and lights and colors mm-hmm. that made it really beautiful yep. and, and friendly. terrifying. Yeah. Friendly, too. It was and easy. And friendly. Yeah, it was yeah. as 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 easy as the the notes they played. Yep. Yeah, it the worked music actually was... with the music. It worked. Yes. Yep. Yeah, and, because uh, Trumbull was an artist first and foremost, and like the it's more important to that film that it is beautiful, like truly beautiful, than it is accurate. Like yeah. I think that, uh, and that's the. Like, because I think that there's lots and lots of great. I see lots of great effects, uh, the effects, um, but it's really rare to see something where 
the visuals just all by themselves, aside from the also incredible movie that you're watching. But the, the visuals are so breathtaking, like they're up there with some of the greatest art I've ever seen in my life, paintings mm -hmm. included. You know, and I think that uh, like Trumbull, I mean, you see a little bit of him in, in um, Brainstorm, like when he finally goes through the Brainstorm sequence at the end, um, and he tries to bring some of that magic back. But I think that but him combined with uh, Spielberg, like it was that just at a whole different uh, visionary level. Uh, the way this movie looks, I agree with Brady. Like, there's really nothing like the overwhelming. Like, like maybe the Star Destroyer at the beginning of Star Wars is as impressive as the spaceships in Close Encounters. Right. Yeah. Or even you know, 2001. If you think also about a Doug Trumbull trip right there. Yeah. 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 And it entirely was different. Amazing. Right? Like, 2001 is interesting because it's an entirely different motif, like a, a flavor. Right, that's going for yeah. a more realistic, uh, non-fantasy effect. But it's, it's very also anal retentive. Yes, it's very rigid and very uh, like static yes. and on purpose. And the of course and, and the glorious uh, like the the greatness of that. And I think that like that it's two thousand one's rarely been topped for like realistic space stuff, um, because uh, he the way that he shot it and the way he compressed the scale with like long long lenses shooting uh, across a massive soundstage at giant models and flooding with hyper bright light from one side and all this stuff like like those are all tricks that you know, anyone can do but no one knows to do them and uh, and mm -hmm. so like the stuff that you see in 2001 that Trumbull did you know it looks completely real and the scale is absolutely correct even though these are miniatures and I still see VFX in movies today for ships and whatnot where the scale seems all out of whack just because it's shot with the wrong lens. But the camera's doing something right. impossible. You know? mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think that uh, Trumbull was not only, when he did Close Encounters, he was not only in tune with um, you know, uh, like the technical aspect of what he was trying to do, like lots of um, in-camera flares and stuff like this. Um, but did really you guys know that... Spielberg's vision. Did you guys know that Doug Trumbull... Doug Trumbull's dad worked on Wizard of Oz. No, no. yeah, yeah. So his dad was like fascinated with film technique and film and, and cameras and different right. like so any kind of new film thing like CinemaScope or no. Cinerama Dome or whatever. Like his dad would take him to see all this. That that's what got Doug into doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, like mm, just yeah. seeing different kinds of film. Uh, projections. He grew like up in LA. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. His dad was Massachusetts. Yes, that's later. Yep, it was later. Right. His dad, his dad was in the film business and had that that lure, and then uh, this was around you know the Second World War, and so his dad decided he couldn't, he didn't feel good about working in the film industry during the war ended up uh, taking his engineering skills and ended up working for Lockheed Martin. So um, he went to work for Lockheed, which was, you know, he just was like, well, it's the same distance of driving to Culver City or driving to, to, to Lockheed, so I'm going to go work and help the military effort. And this was during the Second World War. So, but, but nonetheless, Doug sort of had this, this passion about, about um, 
filmmaking and uh, got involved in, in that whole process. And he talks about it on a podcast. You guys uh, will just listen to the CG Garage podcast. It's just, it, it's really amazing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. He's so open and, and, and nice about it. Um, but but it was interesting to, to see, you know, 2001. You know what's interesting to me? Uh, what, are your, what are your first memories of this film? Because it actually had an important part of, of my cinematic life uh, and experience uh, in cinema. What's what's yours, uh, Eric? I, for me, it's my well. First of all, it's my favorite Spielberg film. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I, I think I'm with you on that. It's and I saw it. Uh, you know, we had to watch it for the podcast again. I saw it twice. I, I did back to back. I just it it had been a while since I've seen it. I've seen it, but for me, it was the light and the kind of um, the kind of. I remember even, you know, like reading Project Blue Book, and I just felt like uh, the light on that runway area, it was really mesmerizing, because it wasn't like Star Wars ships, and, you know, it was really felt real. Yep. And the thing that I really, was his madness building that uh, Devil's Tower thing, right? In, when he built it and threw all the, uh, out of mesh and, yeah, and right. dirt. Right. That that had really that madness he had building that really uh, affected me. Like wow! And then that all the light and just the music and the light interacting. I always had a, as a kid. It really was like something so different because it was very mm -hmm. natural. And obviously it is artistic, but there was something. There wasn't a hard edge to it where sci-fi, you know, had either it was either Star Wars or. Flash Gordon, uh, and then, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it wasn't, this was different. This was absolutely this, yeah. beautiful uh, light emitting, and it feel believable. And also, it kind of, with my sense as a child, it was like, that's pretty much what I'd want aliens to be like. Right. If they came, as a way of sending information and knowledge and where the, the the guys came off the things all the old oh, world war ii guys completely freaked me out it was like it was incredible they just came back into from time what about what about you dan well yeah i mean i uh i agree with you guys this is uh it, it's probably my favorite spielberg like joss is up there and a couple others are really close but uh this is like the most personal one for me and um i i I can't remember where I saw it, but I did see it in the theater many times when I was a kid. Um, my mom loved this movie, and we we went to go see it a zillion times. And uh, uh, and I think it was a landmark like um, experience in my life um, in a number of ways because like I had already seen uh, movies that made me want to like that made me love movies, you know, and made me want to like either be an actor or be involved in. You know, visual effects or you know whatever it is I didn't you know I was too young to really articulate what I wanted to be doing but like I knew that movies were like the greatest thing I ever seen um, but I hadn't seen anything that uh, sort of talked to me like connected with me uh, on so many um, huge levels um, like the and it was very formative for me in the way that I look at uh, and just pardon me if this sounds really corny but like the 
the, the way that I look at the universe and the way that I look at um, the sort of the uh, uh, you know our spiritual reality and uh, my love of uh, science um, via this and like Carl Sagan and uh, stuff like this and this sort of very positive outlook on on the uh, the universe and the world and, and where our, our place in it and the uh, um, and connecting that very directly to uh, the practice of art itself um, because I was beginning to draw then I was beginning to become an artist and I think that this movie sort of put me on a fast track to understanding what like what the power of art was and like you said Eric the madness of putting together that mountain uh, in the kitchen you know and that uh, everyone in the film uh, expresses is is trying to express the unexpressible and the way that they express it is through art, whether it's, you know, paintings or, you know, watercolors or sculpture. And ultimately, the aliens express it through music. And, uh, and the incredible sort of uh, spiritual connected dots that happened for me uh, across everything that I loved in watching this movie was overwhelming. And I think it's, uh, I think it, it uh, had a great... Um, uh, effect in who I ended up becoming. Hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting <clears throat> that you guys say all that because it was very similar to me. And I don't think we're going to bother trying to, we, we'll talk about Close Encounters as much as we can, but we're not going to go through a breakdown of the plot because if you haven't seen this movie, shame on you. <laughs> see it. It's incredible. <laughs> and and you got to see it because it's important. Um, but... <clears throat> It was not dissimilar. So, so we were. I was living in Greece when this when this movie came out, and my parents went to go see it, and they were obsessed with this movie. And the first thing they did after they saw it is they dragged us to go see it because they went out on the you know day night or whatever, and they went to see the movie. And they're like, "Oh no, we got to bring the kids!" And they brought us over. I think we saw it in theaters like every day for like ten days, two weeks, something like that. Like my parents just wanted to go see this movie every day hmm. and we went to the movie theaters and like some dinner guests would come over like, oh, we got to go see Close Encounters. And we went to the theater and bought more and like went to see it every day. Yep. And it, it became like a big deal. And my, my parents loved it. And I loved it, too. I was so excited to go to the movies and see this movie to the point where I'm looking at it now. And there's something about the way that it's shot, right? There's something about the way Spielberg shot and, and, and directed movies of that kind. And it's tr you can see it in, 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 in uh, Jaws as well. The acting feels more kind of realistic, right? Like more doc almost documentary style, right? Um, and and you, can, you, you can see... They, they feel authentic in, in a lot of ways. Which one? In which movie? Close Encounters. Oh. Uh, and, yeah. um, and in Jaws as well, but Close Encounters even more so. But to me, when I'm looking at this, and it was maybe because there was such an excitement in my family about this movie for so long, uh, that to me, this was like watching Close Encounters was like watching the moon landing. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Right? It no doubt. felt 
like it actually happened, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? And it didn't happen at all, obviously. But the way that it's presented to you is like, oh, this is it. This is Close Encounters. And this is how the aliens came to Earth and they arrived here and they did this whole thing. And so it felt like it actually happened. Yeah. Obviously, it didn't. The movie happened. So the movie itself is a landmark. But the alien didn't actually land, <laughs> right? It wasn't this thing that actually happened. So that was the thing that was so interesting to, for me to watch it is I'm watching it and I'm getting excited about watching something as if it actually happened, but it didn't. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I noticed something watching this a bunch of times and then watching Jaws twice uh, back and forth and I noticed something, it's his first two films, it was his second and third film, but it seems like all his authority figures are almost cartoonish. Like, mm -hmm. in it, like the, the general guy in Close Encounters who's mm -hmm. with the big glasses, uh, uh, God, what is it, eight, not eight, um, eight Pagoda, who was that? Uh, it's someone anyway. with Pagoda-esque, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and... And then the guy gets on the mountain and he's like, Shh, uh, all right, we're going to start uh, spreading the smoke. Shh. Everything is cartoon. And in Jaws, the mayor is a cartoon. Right. I want the beach. You understand how politics works. You I know, don't and think it was one just, of you are familiar with our problems. <laughs> yeah, yes. Exactly. It was like every authority figure is laughable in a way. Right. And I also mm -hmm. noticed something else about... And I think I realized my issue with a lot of Spielberg films, but I noticed it on Close Encounters, and I could be totally wrong, probably am, but I have an issue with his art direction. Mm. Everything is like exposition. This is a roadblock, you know? This is, <laughs> right. this is right. a, a science, little portable science thing on the runway that can take right. all the decibels because the sign says that. It's like theme park art direction. And <laughs> right. it's there to help like really explain the story more to you. And mm -hmm. that's always his art direction. But that's how that's what enables the general public to take. I know. Well yeah, but like that's why it takes a very like and I think this connects the two of the things that you're talking about. It's like the point of view that he tends to take is uh, uh, childlike. Kids. Yeah. yeah. And so he doesn't, he, he didn't have a childhood. Yeah. And, they, and like, even when he's making movies that aren't necessarily about kids, when Close Encounters is not about kids, but it, like the point of view on those adult figures is like the point of view that you have when you're a kid, you know, like they are cartoons. And, uh, and like the, I think that part of the success of his ability, you know, storytelling ability is, you know, like I agree, like he has these very sort of like, um, you know, cartoony, easy to instantly understand. Uh, visuals, right? But it's also like that. Also helps. Like, it, it, like there's no mm -hmm. like the, because it's not subtle. You don't have to waste a lot of time on it, and you just, it just sort of plugs you right into it and makes the experience pretty direct. And I think that uh, I mean I, I agree that it's like you know it's a it's ham-handed in a way, but also it's uh, it it sort of allows you to speed over what would normal movies would be a lot of extra stuff. You know, yeah, uh, right. it's exposition art, art direction. Yeah, exactly. Like it explains a lot of what's going on. Right. But for me, it was very, always very rounded. The color tones are different, you know, even mm -hmm. on the technical equipment. And I know this is 
kind of minutiae crap. But I realized, watching it for the second time, why I have never really liked his films, because I always like strong art direction, mm -hmm. and it's always, and it's just a little too theme park. But I feel like there's, the, like the moments where they were on the hillside and all those people were there and he's driving around the corner and almost hits yeah. the little kid. That is like, that's like a Thomas Hart Benton painting. Or, I mean, it's just, it's so beautiful and great. And, and, um, and very consciously dust stated. Bolt. Like yeah. It's, like it's, it's very, it's, I mean, that is a real constructed bunch of visual, visuals. It doesn't, I mean, like, you know that they're on a set. Like, it feels like they're on a set. Um, right. But at the same time, it feels that, that unreality sort of lends its own reality to it. Like, you, like it feels that height and, and it's silence. Weird. And the yeah. people just smile and kind of look like real people. Yeah. And I think when you get to the second movie, which is the Ethan Hawke, Seymour, mm -hmm. they talk about notes and how they connect us and kind of the religious comparisons, right? And that driving unifying force. And there's always that note that shows everybody's common thing. Right. You know, in, the, in, in um, Close Encounters, mm -hmm. right. it's music. Right. And it just is like what we respond to. It's almost, uh, they're talking about how the notes, the B sharp or the B flat, right. Um, right. In space and everywhere, it's just like this unifying. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We need but to explain that. But the point is, but the point is, the music helped make Close Encounters what it is. Oh, to oh keep yeah, that yeah. lighter, and it really is without a doubt. You overlook yeah. a lot of the other stuff, um, and they make it they almost heavy-handedly say like, "This uh, sound equals this." hand gesture equals yeah. this color right and it's all goes together it, it's like they're playing simon you remember the simon game yeah, <laughs> from the 80s right so it's like it was like that like then then and like boom 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 like yeah and and it's and that's you know and i still remember like the line that was like it's the first day of school boys you know like right like boom, that line boom, it was like boom. just yeah. the basic things that right. you need to know but that's the that's yeah. the sort of beauty of it. It's like he is like I I I'm I was thinking about this because like the like at some point Spielberg stops being able to direct children well, uh, and he fails to make any good children movies. And it's a, it's just I think it's after Poltergeist or something around there, where his kids go from being. But he didn't direct that. <laughs> it's it is true. And like he like it's a very he wrote the script and it has a very Spiel, like has a real Spielbergy tone to it. And uh, and it's very much about interacting with kids. It's played in the same way that like his kids are played in ET and and Jaws mm -hmm. and Close Encounters and stuff like this, which is all this really beautiful sense of uh, honest awareness of what the child point of view is, right? And then uh, past that point, somewhere in the eighties, suddenly all of his kids are completely artificial and annoying, like in all of his right. films, and uh, like you like. You know, you know that I don't have a huge love for Jurassic Park, and like the kids in Jurassic Jurassic Park, like, like I don't find them entertaining at all. I don't like them, uh, and they're right. very, very artificial. You know, and uh, or the entire cast of Hook, you know, and stuff like this, and uh, Hook, yeah, you know, Ugh. it's just like this. This there's a there's a difference between being uh, childlike and childish, right? And right. I think that. Close Encounters is childlike, right? 
and he feels very, very connected to the actual child self that he's that he's drawing his art from, right? And um, and so all the imagery uh, is extremely simple, like it is colors and notes, and it is essentially the first day of school, right? But none of it is lacking in truth. You know, it's right. very it's very straightforward, but it's all also totally real and true, and like the feelings behind it are are actual, and the feelings in Hook are not. But the feelings in Hook are completely manu- manufactured. No, yeah, right? th- I mean that. Yes, I, that's the thing, right? Like Close Encounters feels real. Feels Hook real. Does not feels right. feels theatrical and, and right. And, and the thing is, like we like we just said, like there's elements of Close Encounters that are, feel like they are. Uh, uh, like shot on a studio stage, like there's elements that feel artificial, in absolutely a, in a physical sense, but they but never somehow feel the way ar- that artificial the flow works and the dialogue works right. and the actors, the way they look, they feel real, right? right. Like even even <laughs> you know that 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 stupid scene at the conference room when they're talking about like trying to like. This is a flying saucer, or right. you know, it's a pewter dish or whatever. Yeah. And I like, saw Bigfoot. I once. saw Bigfoot once. Yeah. Yeah. And that but guy, it's the he, same thing as in Jaws. Absolutely, I know. Yeah. But same, when same that same. guy says that, you're like, "Oh, he didn't feel like an actor. He felt like, yep, there's a guy like that." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, like it feels it feels heightened and a little cartoony, like Eric's saying. But like, it doesn't feel dishonest. Like, it feels, no, it does not. It, it definitely connects and it definitely works. And uh, and I think that this is the there's a give there's me one second. That, I hear somebody. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Keep talking, guys. Keep yeah, talking. Yeah. Sorry, my apologies. But yeah, like I think that, uh, like, because you look at E.T., which is, you know, well, like, E.T. is a wonderful movie with, you know, like, the kids in E.T. are incredible. Like, the way it's handled, the kids are handled in E.T. is amazing. Um, and he has a, he has, like, E.T. I haven't seen, I literally have not seen E.T. in 30 plus years. Oh, like, I don't think I've seen it since It's VHS. It's not as good as Close Encounters, but, it, but it's very, very small and personal, and the emotions work incredibly well, and all the kids are incredible. And, like, the... What makes E.T. work is that E.T., like when I saw it again like as an adult, I was like, oh, this is a story about, the, about divorce. Like this is, yeah, yeah. Like this is like the, the backstory that's really pleasant, uh, really present in the movie is his parents are, are getting divorced or have gotten divorced, you know, and his mom is barely holding her shit together and keeping things running for right. the family. And like he's so good at doing these sort of like very... Uh, uh, intense, like emotionally intense, weighty, um, uh, sort of sub stories that make the film feel incredibly real. And like in Close Encounters, Roy Neary's family, Richard Dreyfuss's family, is a really honestly presented sort of broken family. Like their yeah. family dynamic is terrible, but it, they don't come off. Even though like the it's really like they're really sort of. You know, uh, scenes can be really big, you know, and really sort of semi-cartoony. But the feelings right. are very familiar. Like, I've been, I didn't have that experience myself, but I've certainly been at dysfunctional um, uh, houses when I was a kid. And it felt like mm. that, where things are just like, everything is fucked. And nobody is listening to each other. And there's lots of screaming, you know. Yeah. Um, and yet, in the background, thanks to Terry Gar, for instance... Like, yeah, you feel yeah. like there was a real relationship between her and Roy at some point. Like, yes. Like, this somehow fell apart, and they don't know why. You know? And, uh, yep. and it really, really feels real. And that's part of what makes the movie work so well. 
you know, it's not like just a space fantasy where like, oh, look at the spaceships, this is amazing. Like, you really feel, I feel, really feel connected to um, this poor, messed up dude's real life. You know, uh, Let me ask you guys the a question. that you want to feel. Let me guys ask you a question because this has been creeping in the back of my mind and I've been thinking about this for a long time because uh, we brought up E.T. and Close Encounters, et cetera, et cetera. Super 8 is oh. obviously... Yes. So, uh, I just like, saw it for the first time two nights ago. Yeah. I was going to bring that up. Oh, it was there. Because yeah. it's, it's perfect. It's... I'm watching it with my daughter. I saw it for the first time. I'm like, my God, this is uh, uh, Stranger Things. It's, well, yes. But it's Spielberg, right? It's, he produced it, it. Spielberg produced it, I know. But but J.J. Like, but Abrams was like a fanatic of, of, mm -hmm. of Spielberg. Did it, I mean, did it feel like a Spielberg film? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like... It is like the ultimate Spielberg. It's got all the things we just discussed, right? It's got the like death in the family backstory. Yeah, but what the dysfunctional family next door? Yes, but mm. that is a creation, and it it's not probably what his life was like. No, absolutely it's, it's, not. It's a fabricated kind of uh, inner voice uh, to make that throw it. Uh, because with a Spielberg, you know, you can sense that it's on real. some of those it's real, yeah. yeah, and that's the real difference, and that's why it seems fabricated. It's like you could paint like Picasso, but you're not Picasso, and if you like Picasso or not, it's just that motivation and what got you to make that canvas. I'm putting it in painter's terms. You can right. tell, and it becomes derivative because there's too many moments or a balanced amount of moments, <clears throat> and pardon me. So. Um, you can say you're a punk band or you can be the clash <laughs> exactly. and and that's, it, that's the real thing and uh, I, it's not a bad thing it's that's commerce but uh it's you could tell and i just was i was more amazed after watching super 8 because i like stranger things um but Which I was also basically just a bunch of nostalgia for the 80s that's right goonies meets and i was like oh my god super 8 it's really like they really took a lot from Super 8. Right. So it's, it's third generation pulling. Right. right. Right? Like Picasso's assistant who became a painter, they're ripping him off, the assistant off. So it's right. like three layers of, of inspiration. Right. And it's like, okay, I dig that, and it's a good job probably. But, um, you know, I told you, I think I told you before, it's like, I know I, I sometimes say the same story, but the time I spent with Albert Maisel at his house in the Dakota. Like yeah. 20, oh God. He, he so basically, good. he said, like, he was like, I told Michael Moore once, just because McDonald's has sold billions of hamburgers doesn't make it a great hamburger. And I was like, yeah. 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 Do you want right. to make a great burger or do you want to just make shit, sell a shit ton of burgers? Right. Right. And that is unfortunately where a lot of filmmaking is today. And it's not a bad the, thing. The reason people go to McDonald's are, is because they, they know what they're going to get. That's and right. They, they That's right. It it's, and it's like, it's, it's going to be fine. But there are right? moments in that insanity of Richard Dreyfus in Close Encounters where he really, when throwing the soil through the window yeah. and all the neighbors looking, there was a real, like, seriousness about it. Like, and the shame on the kids' faces and just looking at him do this yeah. and, and this is really 
the it's scene, real. It's the, real. The scene of him with the mashed potatoes and his son crying is yeah. so incredible. All powerful. That's right. It's incredible. But then you you put the father who they lost the mother, but it doesn't really. You don't really feel that, and you don't feel the connection in Super Eight of the father with the son. There's I no know. binding yeah. thing right. of love or yeah. anything. Like it's I'm, just. I'm not, I'm not a, a non. I like I like a lot of JJ's films. I think that Super Eight's pretty fun. Like it's a pretty fun movie, and he's like he's an extraordinary technician. Like a really good looking movie, and I think you're right. Like it really nails the look of the of Close Encounters. Like it really grabs it, right? But like what you're saying, I don't think he knows what it means. <laughs> like I'm not sure if because uh, Super Eight. I got to the end of it. I was like, what the hell did that mean? Like, well, the ending you know, is terrible. On Super Eight. It's yeah. just like me. It's not yeah. terrible. It's just. I told go you guys. I swear. I used to work in this office for a director on Seventeenth and Fifth, and Edie Falco worked in the office, and Larry Fong did. And Larry right. was good friends with JJ, so JJ would come by the office to see him. And Larry shot Super Eight, and um, sometimes I see Larry on the street, you know. And uh, but it's just like that relationship goes back far. So that probably was like a relationship over we love Spielberg movies. Let's sure. do that kind of-esque thing. But I was more... Super A was fine. It was entertaining. Yeah. But the train scene didn't seem violent enough. Like train derailing, it just needed to have more action to it and more destruction. But besides that... <laughs> No, the train scene was ridiculous, dude. I was like, there's yeah. train derailments, and then there's re this is a train derailment, you know. Oh, it's, I mean, it's gorgeously done. It's really gorgeous. It is, but it's like, yeah. you know what my issue was? That was done by Scanline, by the way. Yeah. Scanline um, did the um, whole uh, train derailment stuff. Greg Tadilis yeah. was one yeah. of the big Mark, guys Mark behind Pereira. Yeah, man. A lot of yeah, Mark Pereira. Yeah, Mark Pereira. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was huge. I felt like the disappointment, though, in the creature's look. Mm hmm. Oh, oh! You mean the creature in Super Eight? Yeah, and yeah, the it was a ZBrush tutorial creature. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's like it looks like every other fucking ZBrush character. That's Diamond ever been face. Yeah. They're like yeah, we'll do that thing, and they're like a little bit a little alien. I was like, oh, I didn't man. mind the Close Encounters creature bathed in light. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, I like it. That is I, I, it looked janky to me. Now, yeah, it's, it is. It. it is janky, but like there, there's a like. Like I mean, it's it's Rimbaldi did the the puppetry, and like it was cutting edge of the day, but it's obviously like the very clunkiest, uh, you know, mechanical uh, object you can make. Um, but like, there's a like the visual itself is great, especially like the big spider thing at the end, and like just as a work of art, it's beautiful. You know, it's clunky technically. No, and, it's like, beautiful. See, yeah, you can see that you can see the seams on that stuff, but it doesn't make any difference, you know. Like so, it, watching it, Jaws home run. in between, sandwiched in between this, watching Jaws with my daughter twice and mm -hmm. Close Encounters twice with her, uh, Close Encounters to Jaws, Close Encounters to Jaws, and then to Super Eight, and then to Zohan, and it's all downhill from there. But oh god, yeah, uh, you're, you're, oh my god, that's how we got to twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, you watch Jaws. And we saw also a documentary on the making of Jaws. And they had problems with the, the shark, Bruce. I actually lived in that town they shot it in. Oh, yeah. Right. In Martha's Vineyard, right? Egertown. I lived in Martha's Vineyard. In, in I was living in, in Cape Cod at the same time. 
Yeah, but I lived yep. in 86, but I, right. the thing was I recognized those streets, but I oh, yeah. literally, they didn't show the shark as much. And then when you watch Jaws 2, the shark is like all over the place. And it's that and it's, limited it's exposure, bad. like Alien, is right. the best way to do it, when you're right. guessing. So it's almost like, in Close Encounters, when you see the creature, it's almost like it's better just to have that ramp with light and the music. Because you know when it's doing the music and the ship reacts, it's talking to you. You're getting right, a right. sense of yeah. communication. So you don't need to physically see this thing that looks kind of like us or derivative of us in terms of like armature. Right. That's what I was, the only thing that, you know, it's, it's just bathed in light with the music is enough to right. scare you. And also make you feel like you're reaching or talking to God or there's something which they talk about in the second movie. Yeah. Right. But, well, this is the thing. It's like the, the, Hudson the, Hawk. My, Hudson Hawk is a very deep spiritual experience for me. The, um, uh, but like uh, Close Encounters is like Spielberg, you know, was on, I think he was on Inside the Actors Studio, right? And, um, and um, being interviewed. And uh, what, what's his name? The, uh, the, the, the guy who ran Inside the Actors Studio. I, I can't remember. James Lipton. James Lipton. James Lipton said to Spielberg, he's like, you know, so now we come to Close Encounters in the way he did. Um, and he just sort of simply goes, so your mother was a pianist and your father was a computer repairman. So how do you think this affected your writing of the story for Close Encounters? And Spielberg was totally dumbfounded. Like he had never connected this in his mind before in, 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 until that moment. And I've never really? seen anyone look. And he was absolutely shocked. It was like he was embarrassed. He was like, "Oh, oh, fuck! I didn't realize what I did. I didn't realize what I said with that film." And right. uh, and that's the like that revealed the power. Not sort of generally about Spielberg. Spielberg's best work, um, but the power because power it was subconscious. It's subconscious. Yeah. Like it's coming from within him. He doesn't even understand it. It's just coming out through him and through his technique. Right. And that's why it's saying something. And like the, the, the for me, like the, and the other landmark bit with um, uh, Spielberg talking about Close Encounters is that he said after he had kids, um, he would never make Close Encounters the way he did because it's about a guy who leaves his kids to go up off into outer space. And it, when I heard him say that, I was like, I'm glad that you did not make that. I'm glad you did not make the post-kids version of Close Encounters. Because mm -hmm. the, the, the Close Encounters to me is um, like there's a, there's a Zen Buddhist word uh, called, uh, I'm sure people have heard before, when you say a, a koan, uh, and a koan is sort of like a, an unsolvable spiritual puzzle, right? And so like, it's like a little story that, that asks a question that is a, is a paradoxical question that you can't really answer. It's just... It's just there to make you uh, dig into how you feel about something, right? And Close Encounters, to me, is a koan about um, the pursuit of uh, your passion. And, uh, and he does this utterly unconsciously. I don't think he thought he was doing this. But Richard Dreyfuss is uh, so consumed, essentially, by uh, this voice that's speaking to him that makes him want to produce art, literally produce art, sculpture. Um, and he's so driven 
that he that everything falls away from him. His whole life falls away. You know, his family falls away from him. Um, and uh, you know, he's uh, you know he's compelled to go to this place and join with these other artists. And whether or not these people have the 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 the, uh, the belief in themselves or the bravery to continue on all the way through until they're in a sort of uh, spiritual nirvana that they arrive at. And only he is the one who gets that far. Like everybody else, you know, falls prey to disbelief in some way. Or like there's a totally valid one where like the, um, the woman that he's with, Melinda Dillon, um, is just there to get her boy back. And there's the, one of my favorite scenes is like, he's got, I gotta mm. go on. And she's like, I know, I know. You know, she understands why he's there. And there's no false relationship between the two of them. Like, she's she there because she's a mother. She, <laughs> and he's there because like, her great love he's compelled. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Her great passion is her son. Like, that's the love of her life is, is, is being a mother to this boy. And his great passion is, to, is his art. And for a moment, they share this, the, 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 the sensibility of passion about something, something you really believe, right? And what's really great, what makes the movie a koan to me is uh, if, he, if it was just a movie about a guy uh, like leaving his family and getting everything he wants because he's a selfish dick, like that would be a terrible movie. But instead, it shows a very, very realistic and like broken and formerly caring relationship with his family before any of the alien shit happens. And mm. because of that, you go, what, like, like, that's a truthful, real relationship. And, uh, and that he is so consumed that he can't even reconnect with them is a painful thing, even if the relationship is broken. And that the movie right. leaves it in there, um, makes it, like, evokes the choice that I think that any artist who has a family understands this idea, which is, like, how do you pursue something that consumes you w without losing everything that you also love? And, uh, and that's, a, that's like, it's, it's a dilemma that you have to balance in your heart um, that I didn't understand before I was raising kids, you know, uh, because I would never, mm -hmm. like, I, I, I think before that, I would say, like, well, you just got to choose one or the other. And now I know that that's impossible. Like, I think that, mm -hmm. and I think the people that choose, uh, that choose one or the other are making a giant mistake. Um, uh, but it was really wonderful of Spielberg at that time to sort of engage with the truth of his real feelings, which is like, I can't stop doing this. You know, I'm, it's, it's right. such a need in me that I, I must sort of speak it out loud that I can't, I just have to take that as the baseline and then figure everything else out. And, uh, and I think that that overwhelmingly spoke to me, even when I was a little kid, about how I felt about the practice of art. You know? and, uh, and, like, I don't think it, like, you know, I, I, I think that people that leave their families to go uh, practice art are doing, uh, are not only hurting themselves and their families, but they're ruining the practice of their art. Like, they're disconnecting from the thing that's meaningful for them. Um, but at the same time, you have to admit that, like, these things are hard. And I think that's what Close Encounters does incredibly well in this really small way that makes it very important is the Terry Gar character and all the time you spend with that family and the weird sense of crazy loss when they're gone. 
It was really, really startling to me when I, every time I rewatched that. It's the most honest movie he ever made. Mm. It's interesting. I saw Terry Gar's character. She wasn't nice to the kids. She was screaming at the kids. And I just but, saw yeah, Dreyfus as just another kid. Mom. Yeah, he was just yeah, a kid. Exactly. And when he leans yeah. over to the little kid on the hillside and he's making a little sandcastle, his discovery comes when he's really just like a kid playing with sand. Well, also like, the same thing, right? When he's in a bathtub, yeah. right? And he comes out and he's like, oh, I want, just hold me, just hold me, yeah. just hold me. Like he wants to be held like a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, and he wants yeah. her to be his mother, which is not what she wants. Uh, she wants right. him to be a man and, uh, and uphold his responsibility as a man, which is actually very important as well. So there, in, in some way, I do have some sympathy for her, for her because he is not necessarily taking responsibility for his family, right? Uh, Absolutely. A little yeah. bit he does. He, he does, like with his older son, you notice that relationship, right? With the older son, you notice the relationship he has with like teaching him fractions or doing this. And just the connection that the older son has with him, like with the mashed potatoes and like that his, the, the other two kids don't give a crap about him. Not only all, that, right. he, for me, when he goes away, it's like as though the brother, their brother went away. It didn't come across to me as he was the father because he, there yes, was so right. much dysfunction and he's yep. always portrayed as a kid like, and yep. it's almost like it was a single mother raising three kids. And when he goes away, it's like, yeah, my yep. brother. It's like in Wonder Years and that the brother dies in Vietnam in the first episode. And it's mm -hmm. just like, it's not like, oh my God, your father died. It's your brother and it's a different thing. And that's right. how it's not right. as upsetting as he goes because it's my brother went off to the military or he disappeared one day. Right. right and uh, because yeah. they kind of made that a real loveless marriage, a marriage where he was just a kid. And, um, and they compound it with the... His innocence, like even when he's in the truck looking around and the mailboxes are doing that, yeah. it's, it's like yeah. Uh, yeah. a little kid peering through a keyhole. The amount of maps in that yeah. movie That's was what? hilarious too. <laughs> That's another little kid thing. Don't you love your kid? Like uh, when you're a kid, you're like maps. <laughs> like I yeah. loved maps when I was a kid, like tracing maps and understanding the lay of the land. You know, it's all great. But yeah, that's the that's the power of that thing. It's like you know, if it were, there's been plenty of movies where, you know, uh, the hero gets what they want and they're rewarded for being a good person. Like, uh, yep. this movie goes. This movie makes you question. Wait a minute, was this good? <laughs> like, like this is incredibly beautiful and I'm totally in touch with Richard Dreyfuss's point of view. Um, but when you rewatch re it later, you know, like the, as we just did, like I can't help but think. Um, like, like there's something that someone didn't get right here, and that's what the family was, is. Was it's Truffaut like, considered in the, in the film? Like, was Truffaut like the like the narrator? Because he seemed to be saying things, and and the way he interprets everybody from military on, it was such a different kind of voice. It and was yes, weird. You're right. I, I always like a, a narrator with Truffaut because. Like him and who who plays the translator? What's his name? Oh, Bob Balvin. Uh, yeah. Bob Balvin. That's it. Uh, who's yeah, he's 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 really good, but uh, like it's clear that Truffaut does speak English, some way, 
right? So they use yeah, his right. Frenchness as this like international sign of like like his Frenchness or the fact that there needs to be a quote unquote translation is the same sign of like we need to translate what the aliens are saying to us, right? Like it's a yes, symbol true. in some ways. And right. and because right. clearly when he speaks English, he's like, you heard what I said. You didn't need a translator. You responded in English. So you right. you do speak. You can manage this. You don't need the translator there, right? Right. And, uh, right. and was, which is like essentially what, what happens with the aliens in the end. Like you can understand what they're right. saying because we do right. speak a universal language, right? And I think that there's, right. an even, there's an even more direct, uh, there's a more direct um, Spielberg symbol going on there. It was like, there's a reason why you get one of the other great filmmakers in the world to be in your movie. Like, Francois Truffaut is one of the great filmmakers ever. And to have right. him be in the movie saying, I understand As an where you're coming from, <laughs> and I'll help you. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's a voice, I mean, he's Francois Truffaut the showing narrator. and saying, you know, you understand it. Mm -hmm. you, you get it. Like, it may be simple, and you may not be good at it, but you get it. You know, and that's talking about. And he Spielberg's didn't feel he didn't feel like an actor. Like he felt you're right. He he did he didn't feel like a, he didn't feel like any of the other characters. He felt like very straight, right? Francois and like Truffaut. I'm gonna tell you <laughs> exactly. scientific like, facts about things. Like listen, listen, right. listen. Blah 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 blah. Right? And yeah, the and so every of the natural, like what the reality is and how beautiful it is because the naturalness and probably the way he made his movies of realism and he getting that point across that was probably why he was used but i always felt like in every scene when there was chaos a little bit then you had the cartoonish military guys he was like a narrator kind of explaining the reason or things right. or just let it be let god be let let it happen and let these moments right. occur right he's, he's that was the like voice oh. the, he's the voice of the movie like he's, yeah, he's like, and it's he's also, the, like, there's a he, he's villain. The, he strips the villainness out of stuff, in a way, I felt. Like, yeah. when just when you right. thought there was a villain, or you wanted to hate somebody, he pops up and puts the reason in, and then the journey continues. It's like, don't feel yeah. that way, just let it happen. Right. And let the naturalism exactly. of this event which, happen, which is and the this is science. Movie. Yeah, and let it happen. And he runs up a hill, and he smiles a little bit. It's like, yeah. But then it goes to, they're running up the hill, and then you get this cartoon of, time to spread it. And then, like, <laughs> like yeah, back to the, the exposition helicopter comes in, like, dangerous spray, right. you know? And the fog comes through, <laughs> right, 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 and right. then, um, right. but, but then it's just kind of, um, yeah. By the way, on a side note, guys, Criterion Collection has a thing called Western Noir right now, and I watched one of them last night. Oh, yeah, like, I already started watching it. Yeah, Yukon right. Path or Gold Path or something with uh, Lupa, Some, yeah, uh, Lupa Lupino. Oh my really? God! I saw it last night. It's awesome. It's called uh, something oh, okay. Path yeah. or. So what's the collection called? Is it Western, Western Wa Noir? Western so Noir. So damn good. Okay. Yep. Check it out. Yep. So there's gold so in the, them hills, the, Chris. So not a myth. There's gold in the hills. So now, there's, hang there, there's Phoenix one here thing with some that, folks play cards. The one thing that was hilarious to me, and <laughs> and, it, and it's all kind of coincidental in 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 uh, in uh, uh, Close Encounters, uh, was 
uh, I've got a couple things I want to talk about in cold scanners. But one first thing is um, the the they have all these people that they quote unquote selected to go up with the aliens, right? And they're all dressed in right. these red suits and these sunglasses, right? Yeah. So and professional. And that's the way I'd want to go away in space. Right. So they all have these red suits and they're like, come off this bus. and like, okay, these are the people we have selected to that, that we feel right. worthy to go up with the aliens. Right? Rod, Rodney Dangerfield's first role. Was that uh, Rodney so Dangerfield? No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> well, why are you the respect here? You know, he was funny. The, the, guy, the guy who follows him up there. You know the guy who follows them up the hill who's got that cardigan on who ends up falling asleep and yeah. doesn't go? Like, there's three of them who go up the hill, right? right? Yeah, he seems like an I, ad executive. Right. I, I kept thinking it was John Lithgow for a long time because he kind of has a little bit of a John Lithgow. No, but he's definitely, I've seen that guy before. That, yeah. Yeah. Rockford Files episode or something. Yeah. Anyway, go back to the people in a red suit. So they're all in the red suits, right? And then I just saw a, a trailer. I haven't seen it yet. I think it's on Netflix or Hulu or one of the streamings about a Biosphere Two. It's there's a documentary oh, yeah, about that yeah. that came it's out. On Hulu, I think. Yeah. Remember, because it was out in the '90s and bios and the people going into the biosphere, they're all wearing the same fucking red suits. Wow, red as suits as they go into yeah, the biosphere, and yeah, and that was after that. Close Encounters <laughs> came out. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Really yeah. weird. But I do want to note something yeah, special here. Yeah, no, That sounds very fun. Yeah, the Barosphere documentary yeah. apparently was like went – it went really wrong. Really wrong. Yeah, um, real bad. Sounds fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Cra crazy wrong. <laughs> so uh, do you – Eric, you know this. I'm sure you do. And if you don't, I'll remind you. Who came up with the kind, Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Who came up with that? Would it be Sid Sheinberg? No. George Lucas? No. Terry Garr? No. <laughs> no. Okay, I got one last guess. <laughs> okay. M Miss Candy Bergen? No. <laughs> no. She's a star. It's, it's called the Heineck Scale. Oh, yeah. That's right. Joel Heineck's father. Joel Heineck's father. No kidding, so Joel, really? That's crazy. Yeah. So That's Joel funny. Heineck no, was our VFX supervisor on Stealth. <laughs> He's he also directed to... quite <laughs> a few other things. You, you, you would argue yes. with him about Fresnel. Oh, yeah, and I won. God, you just have to win every time. Do you, Chris? It's unbelievable. I did. You would argue with him about Fresnel in the screening room. That's, that, yeah, like the, the, the original, like those who know me, Everything has Fresnel where I would have an argument about it. That started with Joel Heineck on Stealth. And I would talk about the way reflections are supposed to work on airplanes. And he was like, I've never seen anything like that. It's like, it's called a Fresnel scale. And you should know that. I kind of, I was very. That wasn't douchey. That wasn't douchey. No, I was very bad. I should never have talked the way I did to him about it. But he and That's I had a. That's your style, though. Right? Yeah, he and I had a. Anyway, Joel is a very smart person. And I really appreciated uh, what he did, but he was wrong about reflections. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't care Tomato, if he won an tomato. Oscar, several Oscars. What did he win an Oscar for? Oh, What Dreams May Come. He won an Oscar for What Dreams May right. Come. That was before Stealth. 
Yes, it was before stealth. He yes, did not win an Oscar for stealth. Um, but uh, but I don't he know also if anyone really remembers the, what uh, Joel Heineck also movie. invented the optical. <laughs> Joel Heineck also invented the optical printer. No, he didn't. Did he? Yeah. Did he really? Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, it's a big. De- he's a big deal. He's what does he deal. do His, now? I have no idea what he's doing. He I know he's a nice he, guy. He, he, you know what? He is a nice guy. He is a nice guy. But the thing is, he used to be kind of argumentative about everything. I remember, like, everything, like, nah, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I just remember somebody <laughs> suggesting, maybe Paul George, that he gives a talk in the screening room at Digital Domain and talks about making Predator. So he came with the other guy. Oh, my God, that's right. Predator together. And then the other friend that was there, who was his VFX soup as well, is like, well, we did it. We ran a red pass on the on the optical printer, I guess, and da 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 da. And he's like, "No, we didn't do that." And they would argue, like, "I swear, we no, we didn't. We ran two passes of green and then did a red pass, you know, <laughs> and, and, and exposed it to red at 0.5 degrees." And he's like, "I think you're wrong." And they would argue and be like, "Okay, continue, continue the predator stories, guys." <laughs> we just like back yeah. and forth, back <laughs> and forth. Unbelievable, but it was well, kind of cool. I remember how they we did it. We were watching film outs on stealth, right? And we were sitting there with Rob Cohen and we were in the, in the thing. And, and uh, I think Nancy Bernstein, who was, you know, she, she's passed she's away. She's like, what? No. Oh, yeah. Nancy's passed away. No. She passed away like 10 years ago, dude. No. Yeah. I didn't know that. I liked her. I used to talk to her. She was like one of the sisters from The Simpsons with a voice. <laughs> she, oh, she's totally <laughs> like The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. She loved it. Chashu, and I used to bring Chashu. Yeah, up. well, I she was a dog person, yeah. I did not know she passed away. Mm-hmm. Of? Yeah. Uh, cancer. Because she smoked cigarettes. I don't know. I think She'd be outside smoking. Her. Yeah, but... Yeah, I don't know if it was from cigarettes. I can That's ask. very sad to hurt here. I very sad. She was, she was a hardcore. She was hardcore. Uh, but anyway, Nancy was, um, she was, uh, 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 we were sitting in the screening room and she was getting upset at Joel because Joel wouldn't fucking final any shots. Because like, man, let's, let's fix this. Let's fix that. I don't, I don't, I don't. And then Rob Cohen was in the screening room and we're looking at uh, finals for, on film out. Right. This is back in the day when we have to film our like put it on film to, to final things. And uh, and so he was looking at it and he goes and uh, Rob Cohen's like, that looks great. I love it. And Joel's like, yeah, maybe. But I think it's like a you know, little bit magenta, like two percent or something like that. And, and and then Nancy would be like, shut the fuck up. He's about to final the shot. And, and then Rob <laughs> would look at him and goes. Are you kidding, Joel? By the time this gets to Idaho, it's going to be purple. <laughs> it's like, you know, or green or whatever. It's like, who cares? Like, right. it's fine. It's great. It's great. And so it was like, uh, yeah, it was an awkward thing. But Joel, Joel was a perfectionist in terms of his color. And I appreciate some of that to some extent. But it, it, was, it was a thing, right? It was a thing that when you get to be a perfectionist of that level, especially in the visual effects thing, then you end up having a producer in the room basically trying to curve your pixel fucking, right? Because if you're sitting there pixel right. fucking the whole time, it becomes extremely expensive and you can't do that. Yeah, you're a big and, pile and of money on fire. Yeah, it's, it, it wasn't worth it. 
and Joel was Joel was right to to call out certain things and to try to make things look right and make things like reference look like the reference, but the fact is he didn't understand how reflections worked, and that's why I got really upset about the whole Fresnel thing because he didn't understand it, and that's why when we started doing the freaking shampositing thing, people were animating reflections animating the Fresnel on the angle of the plane because Joel's like, make it look like this plane no matter what fucking angle the plane is because he didn't understand how reflections work. That's why I got frustrated. And that's why I finally just like flipped the table on him. I'm like, you don't get it. It's Fresnel. It's called Fresnel. And he just didn't understand what that meant uh, because he came from such a, he just didn't have that physical reference of what reflections look like. It's called uh, the Fresnel incident. And it happened right. in 2005. And I got really pissed off about it. And that's why that everyone started joking about it. And it's like, everything has Fresnel. You know, like that became my, my thing. But I um, just looked up Nancy. She passed away in September 21st, 2015. Yeah. So and colon cancer, yeah. which spread to her lungs. 55. Right. Yeah, not that's old. Sad. That's yeah. 20 years that's older terrible. than me. But still. Yeah. That's really young. Yeah. But she was really wonderful. She was tough. But. She was good. She was tough, dude. But you got to be when you're a producer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was, she was, well, she was an executive producer. She was on that level. But uh, I, I really, listen, Joe, anyway, going back to Joel. So Joel's dad uh, came up with the the Heineck scale, which is, Close Encounters are the first, second, third. And I think that they've extended it to like seventh kind, which is like, you know, get married and have kids with an alien kind of. <laughs> That's like <laughs> exactly. sharing your Twitter you, you, handle. You split a timeshare with an alien. <laughs> split That's, a timeshare. That's, so, That's five and a half. Yeah. Kind. <laughs> if you are splitting a timeshare anywhere in the Poconos or up in Tahoe, that is the eighth kind. And that's very rare to get. But people have done it. They realize, yep. wait a minute, I'm splitting a timeshare with an alien? <laughs> Why is it so clean? That's close when he... of the seventh guy. That's the reason. <laughs> They're very clean. Doesn't clean matter. Aliens, Respectful and clean. And, and it was very, it's class just, act. Just be what happy a class to... act. <laughs> the jacuzzi's clean. So that's. that's it's got the, a little bit of a film on top. There's a it. film on the jacuzzi, <laughs> but I can live with it. That's the eighth kind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh yeah yeah but beautiful movie Close Encounters but I did feel like once I watched the second movie it was definitely like seeing the Steinway Center I think that's on 57th and, and I'll be right the, back guys before we get into it chit chat for a little bit I just need to take a, get a, I'll be right back can we, can, we briefly, can we briefly talk, Eric, about, well, I, I think you may agree with me on this. My favorite stage Spielberg scene of all time is in Close Encounters, and it is the air traffic control scene. Yeah. And they don't like, report that it. Is, it is brilliant. Like, that is, the, that is what and it is. And they don't it's report so it. so elegant and so simple. Yeah. Man. Oh, yeah. And then the guys are like, oh, we don't want to report it, which sets up the whole thing. Yeah. Like, nobody want to wants to deal with it. You have a... Now, can and I ask the way it you, goes uh, in on the like screen, on a, on a personal level, uh, what what do you what do you feel about UFOs? So. We should probably let people know there was been a couple of outages 
couple of outages on the internet. So Dan is uh, uh, sitting on uh, the San Andreas fault of the internet <laughs> with a couple <laughs> of shaky true. ground. Uh, I was just uh, mentioning to um, Eric, uh, asking Eric, Eric about his belief in UFOs and, uh, and asking if he had seen the, uh, the Navy footage that was put out. Uh, uh, there was stuff put out six months ago about those little Tic Tacs flying. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. The Tic Tac stuff? That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was well, How do you explain that? Right? I think it's probably it was so... some very advanced shit from another country, but I would not be against it being aliens. <laughs> like, it's you think really it's advanced shit from another country? I like, definitely... I China? There, I mean, there's... So, so yeah. I, I know, Eric, I make, I, make, um, I make fun of you for believing in ghosts. It's all right. Uh, which is fine. I, I, uh, you are, <laughs> I you make fun of you uh, believing in Fresnel, so it's fine. It's goes back. Exactly. So, um, and you're right to do so, and I'm right to do what I say, and we still love each other, and that's what should make us a wonderful friendship. But in terms of aliens, it's like, statistically speaking, this should be, <laughs> you know, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. It makes sense that we have that. And the thing that's interesting if, is I, I always remember uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about it. It's like, well, we share like, you know, 93% of the DNA of an earthworm, right? So an alien could see us as an earthworm and we will never understand that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So – Yeah, like I, I – just if they come by, they're going to like, oh, it's like a bunch of Corbina or, or earthworms or whatever, you know, yeah, exactly. just like they won't understand. Right. Like, like, right. Do you, you mean you haven't like, figured out intergalactic like, I, whatever? <laughs> just quickly, Dan, you like, said I, it's advanced yes. stuff from another country. Do you really think the way those things were moving that another country can do that? I, I, I'm not even saying America first. I mean, oh, well, the thing is, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm just I'm saying not, technologically, it's like, like, I'm it seems the like case. they like were going the, like so the, fast that no technology exists. Well, they go, they dip in and out of the water without slowing down literally at all. That kind of stuff. Like it's really spectacular. I think it, like just in terms of chances, I bet it's something on Earth. Uh, like in terms of probability. Um, that that being said, like I absolutely do believe that there are other uh, civilizations. Uh, alien civilizations in outer space right now. I do believe, do believe that's true. I think the chances of them talking to us are extremely small. Um, but Why? I don't like. I would not be like if it turned out to be true that these were these were alien ships. I wouldn't be like that's impossible. I'd be like, whoa, that's unexpected. <laughs> like it is totally yeah. possible. It's absolutely possible. You know. Um, but I just think that in terms of like like you guys were just saying like. I think that the, uh, I think it was Isaac Asimov said this, like, you know, you have to think that uh, if there's an alien civilization that is within, like, a, like a, the smallest uh, sort of bracket of time difference, well, like, we're on the same, almost the same level of development as us, right? So that we'd have a chance of understanding them at all. So say plus or minus 100,000 years, like an incredibly small number of years, 100,000 years. So if it's minus 100,000 years, they're cave people. 
And if they're plus 100,000 years, we literally can't imagine what their technology is at all. You know, right. and for us to did he also uh, say simultaneously? Didn't Asimov also say was he, was this he that said this quote that um, that if you think you're sharing a timeshare with an alien, you probably are. Right? <laughs> no, just I think that. No. <laughs> if you it's think your timeshare <laughs> you probably are. That is the eighth kind. Um, I just think that stuff that I saw with the Navy, that thing was going so fast, those TikToks tacks, that it's like yeah. I don't know what yeah. propellant it's system insane. can make something yeah, go that fast. But it's also, they went fast, And because this is actual fast. Navy footage, and it's real. Yeah. And, like the, and you can hear the pilot say, like, look out ahead, there's a fleet of them. And you're like, really? a fleet of them? Oh, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Yeah, oh my God, it's really crazy. This, I mean, I just got So you still think it's our Earth? Like, so I think China's it, the I think only it's on one. Earth. I think it's, yeah. Like, I think, I mean, like, I'm willing to believe it's something really, really weird, like, like, it could be, you know, a future version of us that has learned how to control things backwards in time. Like, that's also possible. And slightly more possible, hmm. I think, than aliens. <laughs> but it's like, like the, the things that we're scientifically on the verge of being able to do are really, really outlandish. And, uh, and we should be prepared for a massive jump in um, our abilities uh, scientifically. Because like the, like between what we're doing with uh, AI and quantum physics, like some really insane yeah. stuff is going to become possible within the next fifty years, and uh, this may be a result of that or the things that are on the forefront of that. That that but that said, you know, again, if they said, "Listen, it's aliens, guys," like there's nothing in my mind that would make me disbelieve in aliens. Like I already believe in aliens. I just think that it's a low chance that they've come. Like you guys were saying, it's like you know, if they came to the Earth, they'd probably be like. Oh look, more horseshoe crabs. I mean, people. <laughs> more shoe. <laughs> like, like it's, they're, they're, yeah. they're not going to think very same, much. Of same, same difference. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yep. But uh, yeah, we, but in we, terms of uh, the, the, in terms of the film, like the difference between us and a horseshoe crab is probably nothing compared to us and an alien. If they're you know <laughs> theoretically right, so. You know, it's just like me saying the difference between a you know a squirrel and a horseshoe crab is massive, but to me it's like yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, I do think that there's a there's a sort of there, there's a theory that I agree with, which is like if we do contact aliens, we should expect them to be at least kind of like us, and uh, not because. Uh, all aliens out there would be like us, but rather that given the, like, if you look at life on Earth, right, like, we we are shaped to our niche, and that's true for every single being on the Earth, right? And if you right. were to go into the ocean, like, if you just looked at how oceans work, right, and you were to predict the kind of life you would predominantly see there at a certain depth, you would say... I don't know, something like a fish? Because that's what works there. Like, you don't want to be a badger and be a fish. <laughs> because, you know, like, you're not right. very... You won't be able to move very well. Like, being... 
flat and and sort of uh, swimming like a fish is the way to move in water. And so for us, in our position on the earth and the, like, the niche that we occupy, like having the control we do with our hands or having binocular vision or all this kind of stuff, these are things that uh, fit this niche really well. And it's particularly good to find technology with. Now that, that, that said, like there may be uh, bizarre gastropod octopus creatures as big as planets that are much more intelligent than us, but we will not understand that they are intelligent. Like we will understand other monkeys are intelligent. And right. that is when we say life as we know it. Like we will be able to recognize that this is in our ballpark of what we know as intelligent. Uh, but whereas like we might end up on a planet like Solaris, where the planet itself is awake, where the ocean is alive and conscious, and never know it. Like, we don't understand that stuff. Right. So we should look for things that we... Well, it's like, it's interesting. I mean, like, there are niches uh, like ours. There's, there's so many animals <clears throat> on this planet, and yet there's so many weird similarities between all of us. Like, why do so many animals have five toes, right? Or five fingers. Right. Like, so many animals have that. Like, is that because it one one you know, dominant one and then everything splintered off from that? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I'm not that, that – I'm not a biologist, but, like, why is that? And so when we look at, you know, close encounters and we look at the aliens there, it's like, yeah, they're going to have a head and two arms and two legs. Like, why? <laughs> well, you know? they, like, they respond maybe. to – the music yeah. is the, what is captivating and they talk about that in the second film. like The second film. Okay, so let's talk about that second film. And you're right <laughs> to bring it up, Eric, because the second film uh, is a documentary called uh, Seymour, colon, An Introduction, right? So, um, and it is a documentary about a music teacher that lives in New York and who has had a very interesting life. And apparently a music teacher to some very important uh, uh, teachers or, or, or musicians. And one of the things that came up in there, uh, which was very interesting, which was, uh, although there are many threads between these two movies that are important, definitely one of the parts of it was when he was having a conversation with uh, two of his students, one of his students said, why is it that all these famous uh, pieces, uh, so many uh, pieces of famous uh, uh, piano concertos, etc., uh, all start in B flat, right? And uh, he said because they just figured out that the frequency that is emitted from a black hole is B flat, right? And it was like, oh, this big revelation. But then what I loved about it, it was the person next to him who was also a music teacher was like, hold on. Well, the pitch has changed. That's BS <laughs> because right. pitch has actually changed throughout time, which was right. also something fat, fascinating that I did not know, right? I didn't mm -hmm. realize like right. what, a so what Beethoven sounded like, you know, you know several hundred years ago would not have sounded the same today because pitch has it's changed over time. So what we consider B flat 200 years ago was not the B flat of today, today right? Yeah. And so it was right. 
interesting to say that but he made a point is like is there something that is a universal sound that we know to accept right and that's the thing right well he also talked about just the universal how music binds us together and our reaction to it and that's where i think it ties into um, close encounters oh absolutely yeah so that's to me, and, the and, and the, like I, I really think, like for me, that second, I I truly love that documentary, and it's one of my very favorite uh, documentaries, and it's it's a very uh, good one. Yeah, it's so, yeah, it's it's such a uh, uh, real searching piece of work. Like Ethan Hawke is really trying to understand something about himself through making this movie, and about his interaction yep. with the art that he practices, and. Because of that, it's not simply a, mu a music or piano documentary. Like, almost mm -hmm. everything in the movie is interchange. Like, the, the, the concept of music or piano playing, the concept of music in the movie is interchangeable with the concept of art itself and, uh, and the practice of art. And, uh, and that's why Hawk is able to relate um, what he's going through, searching as an actor, or what his meaning is, uh, to what this guy has gone through and is trying to teach others, and, uh, and right. I think that that's a like that's the connection that I felt with Close Encounters is like Close Encounters is about this universal language of communication, which is uh, music and it's art itself. It's the it's the it's the unspeakable thing, you know. It's the it's something that you're getting across to somebody else that is pure emotion encoded in a way that anybody can understand. And um, and that's what Spielberg does at his best, you know. That's what his filmmaking is, and it's sort of like clunky and simple as it can be on some levels. Like the effectiveness is because in in his best work is because he's super truthful, and that's that's what I feel like the uh, Seymour introduction like starts to get at. Yeah. But also the common, yeah. the, the way that people are, uh, what I thought was also interesting when they talked about the notes and how everyone responds to notes and they showed the Beatles clip and um, how it transforms us. I think about when they're on that hillside, all different kind of strata of people and then they're all in the helicopter together and they all make the same drawing and the visions of the drawing. Yeah. Right. It just shows yeah, like exactly. like how the music bond. It was really about music. Like yeah, and the common you know thread of music, how every life force responds to it. So. Yeah, there's a commonality. Yeah, of experience, and even even if we haven't shared the experience ourselves. Yeah, that's why. Also, like you imagine like what the ocean is to the ancient Greeks, like this mysterious world underneath. But all the art depicts not only tridents, but like harps, right? Like mm -hmm. sea creatures coming out with harps and stuff. Because there's like this music yeah. is maybe the common bond with the unknown, a life unknown, right. or we can't relate to. I I've always right. have an emotional reaction to, to that movie uh close encounters by the way i love the doc because it really kind of hit home with me on some stuff 
And it was good. It was really nice to see. I did Had not... you seen that documentary before? Or... No. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because so, I feel like there's a, like, you guys are obviously both essentially practicing artists as well uh, as, uh, you know, Seymour is or Ethan Hawke is. You know, how did it connect for you, you guys, in terms of the practice of art? Well, I think for me, um, one of the things that hit home was the way he talked about his father. You know, he referred to him as just a piano player. Oh, my God. I was going to say the exact same thing, Eric. Yeah. I was, I was right on. I was right there with you. And it's, I think. It hurts, right? Yeah. And I also feel like i kind of curious why he just gave up um, trying to pursue that. Yeah. And um, uh, I didn't, you know, maybe I have to watch it again. But I just. That really had an impact on me about what he talked about his family, how it always carries through to him. And um, I don't know why he quit, but I also, he, he becoming a teacher had a profound impact and basically his artwork was the kids or his students. So yeah, and just interesting for the audience, like, so, the, the idea is that uh, the dad says, yeah. I have three daughters and a piano player is the one, you know, and he took yeah. great insult to that. Either you could not connect. Sorry to interrupt. I just want to clarify for people. No, but that's it's yeah. No, that that's right. So so just just to give people a little bit more of a, a context to this documentary, it's a story about this name, uh, a piano piano teacher, very famous piano teacher who taught some of the best pianists in the world, and his name is Seymour Bernstein, right? Um, and uh, the, the in the documentary. Uh, we go through and understand how Seymour Bernstein became Seymour Bernstein and all the things that he did in his life. But really, he is uh, a very uh, uh, private person, uh, lives a very solitary life. He lives in the same apartment building in New York for 60 years or 57 years when the documentary came out or something like that. Um, and uh, it's still does what he does, right? And he teaches piano. He lives in a one-bedroom apartment in New York for 57 years and has this very secluded... <laughs> because it was rent control? Is that why? Probably. My grandmother... Oh, dude, yeah, my, my grandmother... Oh, not my grandmother. My godmother lived at the pen, in a penthouse at 210 Central Park South. Sure. For 40 years, rent control. Yeah. Man, oh, man. Like her neighbor was like Goldie Hawn, like seriously. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, top top floor. I used to go visit her, and I'm like looking over Central Park. It was crazy. She lived there forever. But anyway, Seymour did not have that apartment. He had a small apartment um, in this movie, and he's a very secluded person. And we can go through his personality. He's an unusual person, right? They also they refer to him almost as a monk at one point, uh, which sounds about right. Uh, but um, and it, there's a lot of other personality issues that are going in there. But one of the things that he mentioned is like his passion and love for piano and music. That became his thing, right? He really gravitated towards that and loved music in that nature uh, for for what it was. Um, but his father, I mean, that was a thing, right? The quote from the movie was, "What did you think when your dad said I have three daughters?" and a pianist, right, when he was talking about his kids. 
And he goes, why couldn't he accept me as his son? And that was very hurtful. And he said, that's because he just couldn't relate to what I do. And I have felt that way uh, in a lot of ways. And I know, Eric, you have felt that way. And so it was interesting that you brought that up in this documentary because it was like, oh, it's the same fucking thing, right? Like, I was like immediately like, oh, it just like my, my heart's being torn out from me because like my my mother still refers to me as an architect, even though I haven't fucking been an architect in 20 years, right? Because she doesn't know what else to do when she goes to the fucking cocktail parties and introduces who her family is, right? You know, what's so, funny is your mom refers to you as an architect is my mom refers to me as the guy who does a podcast with an architect. And it's so no. funny how it just <laughs> circles back. It's unbelievable. You must go to the same fucking cocktail parties in Connecticut. Yeah. Wait a minute. A podcast with an architect? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He's so lucky. They that was good. A, your, mom, um, um, your mom and my mom should do a podcast together called Penny Loafer Pot, uh, Cocktail Hour. Yeah, and they'll do it in Talbots. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like uh and just do a whole episode of what is palm beach pink you know like what is the proper color for palm beach pink and uh yeah but yeah it's i just felt there was a there was a truthful like i could see the pain that ethan hawk was in like you know what do i like a real crossing point or cross in his life i just i i related to some of the stuff about the artistry and um it's uh, it's practice, 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 my friend. You know what's interesting yeah, te- about it? Technique comes up a lot, right? Yep. Is that, that, that Ethan Hawke, even though his character was not very likable in the documentary, honestly speaking, mm-hmm. right? right? I didn't like him because he entered, because the documentary was so beautiful. And then when Ethan Hawke was in it, which was not often, he was kind mm-hmm. of like an let me interrupt you here kind of character. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. He was a little, uh, you know, Kanye West interrupting Taylor Swift situation. That's how I felt a little bit. <laughs> to be fair, um, he also directed but, and edited the documentary. So the gentleness and wonder of the documentary is also his doing. <laughs> I understand. I understand the, the dilemma, right? But 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 there was right. something about about it that was like, okay. Uh, anyway, so he he. Uh, he when he, when he does, he there's a, there's only one small moment where he talks about his own artistic dilemma, and mm-hmm. and and Seymour uh, uh, engages him in that conversation, and, and you feel that, and it was it was nice, but what was interesting is that Ethan Hawke still comes off as like this gravitas actor person, right? within the context of that documentary. And when you compare that, go back to our Grizzly Man episode that we talked about, right? And when when Herzog is basically like always in the fucking frame, right? Somehow he feels like he's part of the documentary and he makes sense and is not like this interruption that Ethan feels like he is. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. I do. Yeah. Yeah, like he's Herzog is part of the conversation all the time in that in that movie. Right? He is like Right. Like this is like Herzog is uh like he like he's very present in the documentary. He understands that 
he, his presence changes what is happening, and he understands all of this. And what I think is what's really interesting, and I really what I really like Ethan Hawke for in making this movie, is that he allows himself not only to sort of like appear a little bit awkward and sort of you know like he's a little bit of a you know like like he he inter he interrupts right, um, but also he, like yeah he's he's he he's a little Kanye Westy. <laughs> He's a little Kanye Westy, and I think like it's good of him to put that in the movie, right? And also to show that uh, that he doesn't fully understand the answer that's happening around him, you know, like like you know, you know when uh, when um, uh, Seymour says like, "Don't you get that from acting?" And you can see that uh, Ethan Hawke's like, "I uh, uh, <laughs> you know, he has yeah. no answer for this. He's like, "What the fuck? What am I doing?" You know, and like I think that any other, if you were truly a self-conscious person, he wouldn't allow that back in the movie. He'd, be, he'd say like, "I look like a jerk." All right, guys, this right here is the moment where we lost about 17 minutes of audio, so hopefully you guys can forgive us. But we're going to jump right back into it. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Yeah, this could. This is kind of prime Netflix hours. Yeah, I think that's just part of the problem. Yeah, that's killing us. Oh, but there was an outage today, guys. Oh yeah, there was a big outage today. Oh, okay, maybe we're still yeah. dealing with that. There was a big outage. Uh, we were talking about Seymour. Where were, where did we leave off? You got to remember that. Uh, specifically about his art form, Dan. You were going on something. How basically he was. Uh, you were saying that he was. His father, his relationship with his father, he's living through his students. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, right. then I said, well, you know, he's basically just thinking of himself. But isn't that what all artists do? In a way, he's doing... Yeah, I mean, art is very selfish. Yeah. By design. Yeah. By design. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's your experience. Right. It's and childlike. Like, that's like, what you're trying to communicate, right? So it's hard. It's 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 hard yeah, to not be self focused when you're when you're the center of what you are doing, but it's how you well, think I about think, it that I makes a difference. So, I think what's so interesting about about Seymour is that he seems so selfless, right? He seems like he's yes. trying to help the greater good of the music community, but when you really, really get down to it, you realize all the things that he's gone in his life, and he's like. I can't do the things I want to do because of all of the trauma through the Korean war and through my dad and all these things that have happened to me. I can't do all those things. So I'm going to teach someone else to do it so I can live through them vicariously. Right. Right. I think that's, I, yeah, that's, that's about that. I think was there and I has to think it has to do with, uh, who he might be attracted to in life and his relationship with the father based on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Very much. His father didn't like him and just think he was a pianist. You know, it's not, oh, you're just a pian. I have three girls and a piano player, son. It's, I have three daughters and I have a son who likes men or yeah. something from that. I, I believe you're exactly right. Is that I believe you're exactly right. Like that, that is the, without and a doubt. So I think it's yeah. not so much about that, his thing. And so he yeah. gave it up. Well, it's something that, that is that personal. That his is father essentially yeah. won out. Those yep. values won out. And ever a fighter, he's like, I'm going to continue, but I'll just teach. 
and yeah. he never got over yep. that and he lives alone and in the way it's like you can either fight your father you can be private idaho and come back to his office and say fuck you right. you know i am who i am or mm -hmm. uh you bow down or you become an alcoholic i've seen growing up uh people who uh we were talking uh and it wasn't with you guys uh i was on a, a conference call for work with my business partner with somebody i've known for 30 years and we have a mutual friend uh, his uh, good friend and this mutual friend is the son of somebody uh very 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 famous okay and he the person i was on the phone with yesterday was like he you know sunday nights johnny carson would come over for dinner you know uh that's a big deal do you know what i mean in beverly hills that's a big deal and he knew everybody uh his godfather is uh eisner right or but the point is he and he's like he has great connections but he never used them and i said the father's shadow is so long that why fight that do you know why try to attempt to be like your father and have hatred uh you know he just went his own way and and it does something quite different and you don't realize i said how profound a father's shadow or father's influence in your life can affect the rest of your life and i've seen people who hate their fathers and become alcoholics i've seen you know what i mean it's just it's profound and when i saw this i immediately was like oh i know why he hates his father and his father won which bothers me because he his should have father won could have performed. But did he won? I mean, he he won because he couldn't perform, right? But he look. Here's the thing, and I'm going to go back on this, right? Because this, the documentary, I, I was I was actually kind of angry at the documentary a little bit yesterday, and I think because there was a lot of things that hit home, um, and also, it's along the lines of like I think a lot of people are going to look at that documentary and not get the message, right? They're going to look at documentaries like, wasn't it beautiful? He teaches music to these wonderful. Ethan Hawke is so handsome. Hey, guapo. I know, like whatever, right? But there was something about That's the way my type. Smart and handsome. <laughs> there was something about the way that he sort of presented this, where he's like this, that looks comes off as this this selfless person, and is doing that. And his dad, did his dad actually win? No, his dad did not win because what what while his son did not marry and you know give him heirs, his son produced tons, tons of Seymour Bernstein's, right? He, he produced, he, he, he gave birth to them through on the piano and he did that. And that was the revenge that he had. He became the person that was influential to so many people. So he absolutely got uh, like, like one in that, that, that point. And, and he did that through, through his love of his students. And, and while it, there was a lot of it that felt awkward, right? That a lot of it, like, yes, I don't think Seymour is a complete person in a lot of ways. Because he feels of, like he failed. And the reason he failed is because he gave in to the pressure of the father or whatever psychological burdens were hanging over him, and he gave up. Well, but but even though he feels like he failed, he, he what he actually point. did was succeed I'm, in spades. Oh, I, I, I understand. Um, but... I used to, in undergrad, 
uh, I had a professor, well, a music professor I studied blues with. Uh, he was awesome, dude. But he was a classical piano player. He was much older. And he, uh, he gave up being a concert pianist because he had stage fright. Right. And he was not at all like this guy. At all. Right. I mean, the way he talks about his career is like, I couldn't do it, you know. And, and he, this man, uh, my old professor, was, had a partner. He lived with his partner. He was openly gay. And he was the amazing teacher. But he's like, oh, forget it. I, I, it's not worth it. The, but the way he talked about his career and just giving up because of stage fright was different the way, than this guy described it. And that's mm. all. It made me think like, wow, Professor Williams was different when he described his stage fright. And just mm -hmm. the way he described it, I was like, God, there's something else. And then when he started talking about his father, I'm like, ah, there you go. There you go. Right. There's something else making you do it. And it sucks. It sucks. You know, I, I have a fighting spirit in me. So it's like, there's no, you're not taking, you know, I've just got to, I've seen a lot of people taken down uh, at a defeat. And they're false. They're false fights, too, by the way. Right. It's like it's a fight only within your head. You know? Yeah. By the way, Dan? I don't know if Dan's around. We lost him, but it's fine. Let's keep going, and he's coming back. He's yeah. coming back. It's Dan Phase 2, and it is going to rock. And I'm telling you, it is going to be so good. Now, the quick thing about that. Ethan Hawke looked like Montgomery Cliff in one of those shots. It was like unbelievable. He did. Yeah. Dan, can you hear me? Hi, Dan from Los Angeles. Yeah. Dan, Dan's audio cut out. Uh, and he's Dan, still can you hear there. me? He can hear us. It's like he's listening to the podcast. And he's laughing. <laughs> he's laughing. Like a crow. Yeah. 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 It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I can I'll totally get my hear you guys. So yeah, he's you, texting me now. I was like, I can totally hear you guys. Just yeah. So it's been it's been funny. We've been struggling through this episode. I am going to salvage this thing. This is going to be a dumpster fire uh, salvage of a podcast in terms of how it's going. Chris, I just want you to know while you're doing that, I will be watching Netflix, but I will be thinking of you and knowing you're working hard on that. And as long as you have a first pass tomorrow morning, that's great. On Netflix? What am I doing on Netflix? No, to edit this while I watch Netflix. Oh, uh, well, edit the, I can't edit this and watch Netflix at the same time. No, this is I'll an be, audio podcast. I'll be watching Netflix while you edit it. As oh, that's as, that's true. That's as true. long as you get me You'll first, be thinking about me while yeah, you're watching Stranger Things. That's right. And if you just yeah. get a cut for me in the morning, that would be great. That so would I can be just great. review it. That would yeah. be great. And then, and then you'll just see that there's a file in your Dropbox and you'll go like, yeah, and I won't even oh. touch it until Monday morning. I yeah. was in Malibu all weekend. Sorry, I missed it. It's like, really? I worked hard all night for you to do this thing. <laughs> That's right. I yeah, was yeah. in Malibu. The barbecue. I was at Spielberg's house. We were watching, watching the director's cut of, uh, of, uh, of uh, Close Encounters. It was amazing. Yeah, he makes he the tell me all these stories about him hanging out with Doug Trumbull. Unbelievable. <laughs> and Candy Bergen. And he made a great marinara sauce. Sorry, I missed your email. I'll catch it Monday. Like thanks, douche. It's it, <laughs> but I worked all night on this thing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Unbelievable. When I used to when going through grad school, I PA and I worked for yeah. directors uh -huh. in New York. That's where I worked with, with you know Larry Fong and all those guys. And I basically remember going all the way to New World Cafe 
to get a cappuccino with foam and I brought it all the way back for this client and they're like, <laughs> oh, could you get me more foam? I was like, yeah, next time. Well, maybe on this time? I was like, okay. And I go all the way back to New York Cafe on 19th. <laughs> get a new one, add more foam. I was like, oh, I love my job. <laughs> Douche. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, peep, uh, yeah. Could you get me more foam? Is that a problem? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. The Hollywood's about to get a real humbling after this. Hollywood is, is, is really getting a wake-up call. It's yeah, sad. it's a wake-up call of like the, the, the more foam on the coffee. That's fucking going away. <laughs> well, we talked, and we coffee. can offline this conversation, but I've been thinking about, you know, right now, just the visual effects. Nothing's in the can that can no, be have effects. It, well, well, what the, the 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 shots were in the can for a while, and now that 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 well is dry, right? Yeah, but for, they got to be shooting again, and all, nope, nothing's been shot for so, six months. <laughs> I know. So visual effects essentially won't get plates in reality till next March, at best. So um, all those companies could go under. At best. At best. Uh, yeah. it's, it stinks. It's just horrible, man. And uh, Well, it could, yes. And But here's the irony. The irony is people are watching a ton of content. A lot. Yeah. Right? There, there, there is so much TV being watched right now. So much streaming is being watched. Netflix has more subscribers than ever it has ever had, right? It's running out of content. Yeah, but there's a... Okay, but... That's like saying I, I, I ran, I, I'm done with the internet, now I don't know what else to do. But like, Chris, if nothing's slated for shooting right now... Then, then, then go on to Criterion Channel no, what and, I'm and not watch everything, all the old shit. I'm talking yeah. about money flowing in and out of Hollywood. Nothing is going to be shot, and it's going to be a, a big problem. People are watching stuff that you would never imagine. I'm, not, I'm people... talking about the consumer side. I'm talking about the production side. It's yeah. really bad. But that's the what I'm getting at is like there are people right now, there, there are whole threads of people that are addicted to supermarket sweep game show that's on Netflix. So, or whatever, one of the streaming networks. So there are people that are like, Supermarket Suite is awesome. I've watched every season. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this is, this is what they're watching. Uh, and, and, it, and it's just like, whatever. Let's just put it out there and we'll make money off old shit. This is what Dan is putting in chat, right? Uh, Kelsey Grammer movies have never been intended for release. These are, these are, they're, they're putting out shit on the, on the internet right now. That, it, that, that you know, Dan is putting out there that had never been released, and is like, yep. Uh, what if? And, can I make a suggestion? Just so people know, Dan yeah. is typing in the chat because his yeah. vote, his his microphone doesn't work. Right. Could we on our next podcast do it where Dan types Morse code, and we would be the first podcast to incorporate Morse code? Yes. That or, would be would be the first. That we would be the first. Like shark, like Sharkano. Or Shark Typhoon, or whatever that movie is. <laughs> you that just would... typed Morse code. You just typed Morse code into the chat. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Dan. And I know what you're saying. 
We could be a pioneering podcast, guys. But no, Chris, you want to go to the old format. You're like Lemley Theaters. You know what? I I'm want ASCII. Beyond. Fuck this, this two-point system of I'm dots and dashes. Thinking, I want ASCII files. I'm thinking Morse code, <laughs> and I'm thinking how we could transform the business. Dan is typing Morse code. Chris, if you put video on, you can take a flashlight and flicker it like Morse code, <laughs> like they do in the sailor ships. And then I will read everything back in a podcast. Never been okay. done before, Chris. I hear you. That's pioneering. I hear you. Uh, it can only go south after this. Ha ha ha. This is the future right here, says, what's his name? Dan. Yep. <laughs> his name is Dan. His, his code name on Squadcast is D Menticulous. <laughs> I don't know, man. This may be our most hilarious hodgepodge together podcast we've done. This is, because uh, I've been drinking and I'm over-medicated, so I'm really a loosey-goosey. Yeah. Uh, but here you go. Uh, what I can't read uh, the meticulous, meticulous. That's what is it? Meticulous. I don't the meticulous. Glasses. Meticulous. The future is right here. Hey, thanks, Dan. Um, yeah, Morse coder coming in. Dan from Los Angeles. <laughs> boop, 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 boop. Thanks, Dan. Um, but yes, I, I did like that movie it actually it it's a struggle and he talks about art as a struggle and there are days where i'm just like oh i just want it to be a little bit easier because i'm dealing with so much right now mm. and it's like man it's not but i asked for this but you know i just couldn't be it i couldn't work on wall street or anything like that i wasn't made for that so, no you know it's funny can i tell you a story and it's very, it's very, no, it's a, it's a very, it's a very Seymour story. Um, so, you know, my dad, my dad, you know, he was, he went to Princeton, right? So he, he came from, from a, you know, not dissimilar from you, from a, what, whatever would be equivalent to blue blood American as the streets uh, of Greenwich. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, lived in Chappaqua, New York, right? So, <laughs> so, so, which is where 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 he grew up, and uh, well, not he he actually grew up in, but it doesn't matter. Uh, but he uh, 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 he went to you know uh, what's it? What's the what's the prep school up there? And where? No, 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 no. Uh, where uh, the the library was done by Louis Kahn. Shit, um, Exeter. There he went. Oh, yeah. He went to Exeter. So he went to Exeter and Princeton. You know, like that is very similar, right? So that oh, yeah. whole thing. So he, when he went to Princeton and... Library um, was done by Louis Kahn. Yeah. That's right. I've been up there. I, I used to play them in sports. That's right. Yeah. I totally forgot. It was a Louis... That's right. Yep. Uh, and so my... my uh, uh, anyway, my, my, my dad was there and his, his best friend, still his best friend, uh, who became the, the, the president of what now is going to be the renamed Woodrow Wilson school in Princeton. So that was my, my dad's best friend was the, uh, was the president of the Woodrow Wilson school at Princeton. Uh, they were roommates at, at, at Princeton. And, uh, I went to visit him in London. Like I was in London, uh, a few years back and I went to visit John and I was talking about my dad and John told me, he said, yeah, your dad, you know, he went into business and, you know, was a consultant and political consultant and did some 
speech writing and and did this and then he went to work in you know shipping business in in Athens etc cetera, etc cetera. and I said yeah I mean that's what I know and he goes I never understood why he did that said John he goes when he was in Princeton what I always thought he was going to do was move to Ireland and become a poet because that's what he always wanted to do and I suddenly it was like this watershed moment on me is like, oh my God, that's probably what he's always wanted to do and why he's always been so unhappy. Um, yes. And, and, I and actually it, had a conversation with somebody, I'm not going to use names today, Yeah. that this somebody knows somebody else that we all know. And I, all right, I, I spoke to a family member and I, I pleaded with him yeah. because this family member is older that he needs to sit down with another family member and say it's okay to do what you just need to do. Don't, right. don't do what you, you know, don't do what you think you need to do because I did it. Right. And I said, long after you're gone, that will help his life and yeah. and it you've never had that conversation with him and i was very clear today like you need to have that very soon because we're all getting older and long well, after you're gone he will always trap that in his mind and he will never give it up and it will kill him yeah so if he wants to be a furniture maker and not work on wall street let him be a furniture maker yep well Listen, I'm going to be very personal. My dad basically, you know, he was living in 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 New York, and uh, uh, in New York, in Connecticut, and and in very waspy Connecticut, and he clearly was not happy there. So he ended up making a big change in his life, and you know, after 35 years of marriage to my mother, he ended up getting a divorce, which was very Tremendous. hard for me to sort of go through that process, yes. but. Listen, dude, he, he moved to Albuquerque, New York, uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and like much more bohemian lifestyle, right? Uh, his, his friends that he hang out, hangs out with there are like Native Americans and artists and, and people like that, completely different people. And he has, wants nothing to do with the penny loafer Wall Street lawyer assholes up there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and in a sense, that's the thing that I think that's hard for me when I watch Seymour is because while he is a music teacher, he still like his environment feels very Park Avenue, right? Oh, yeah. And so it's almost as if I wish he was a little bit more like freed by it. Like he's mm -hmm. still, he's still like, like somehow I feel the, the contraction of what you're expected to be around you. And I think, uh, I think somehow he still has that. He lets go of it a little bit through his students. Like his students are just like a little breath of fresh air for him to be able to experience what he's doing, but it's not this exactly the same thing. I, I, I sincerely say this and I know you don't like me talking about my work. But that's the show I wrote. 
Yeah, I, I, a hundred percent see it. I used I to know go exactly next door. I used to go next door and hang out in the ballroom while they recorded and rehearsed, and I was like, I will. Ne- I knew that I never would fit in there, at five and a half. And going in there, I was like, I'll just be like them in some form, and I'll be okay. And that's why I love them, and that's why I worked so hard on this because it. I would have ended up another way. Yeah. And yeah. that was the only thing that saved me. Going over I, there, and I actually believe Gene, who worked for my parents, used to take me over there for that purpose. Because yes. I, I saw her right before she passed away, and I loved her dearly, and it broke my heart, and I just was like, I felt like she deliberately brought me over there. I, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I'm glad that happened for you. Because and I told right. that to Alice. You told I, that to Alice? Oh, yeah. Does Alice remember Gene? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And Mike, her husband. He's like, oh, God. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. Because we used to go over there. And, and, and Charlie, uh, who was the stage designer and prop guy and designed the lights, he used to pull stuff out for us to play on, right. guillotines and stuff. And Chef and I talked about that. And he's like, that was Charlie. T-. I was like, yeah, man. He's like, God. And I talked to the band guys about that. Charlie, he lived there. And he lived in the, cl- he lived in the wall because it had secret tunnels. So his room was one of the secret tunnels. Well, we have to be careful about because people are going to start asking questions because this is still being recorded. So we have to be careful about how well, Wait a minute. Who listens to this podcast? I thought you only got like <laughs> No one listens videos. to this podcast. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm at a real low point with that show, but it's fine. I, I'm totally comfortable, but it's like... Man, no, you're at a low point now. You've got ups and downs. You're at a low point now. That's fine. It's a lot. Well, has it's gone not. On. Well, that, well, it's going to happen, Eric. I know it's going to happen. I have not given up on you. I know. It's uh, been brutal. But the, that's the thing, right? Like the way all art goes, you have to like try and try and try and try. Listen, by the let's way, go back to, let's go back to Close Encounters. Remember how we kept trying? It's like, I got to fucking figure it out. You haven't had the moment where you torn off the top of the fucking... Uh, you know, train set and Dan, found the top did, of the thing. It's like, oh my God, that's what it is. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for that moment. And you're almost there. Dan says, I have to tell you, I know you can't hear my voice, but I hate Chris so much that it feels good just to not hear his voice. I don't know why he would say that, Chris. It's heartbreaking. Why would he, why would Dan say that? I know. He's so, oh. he's, uh, that's not nice. And I'm not the type to throw him under the bus. I don't want to do that, Chris. Yeah, I know. I know. He, he's, 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 it's, listen, it's Dan. <gasps> it's Dan. <laughs> he's the meanest, most selfish person. Not a good human being, but a not great a guy. Good human. Great, not a good great human. guy. That's so Hollywood, isn't it? That guy is the greatest guy. He's, he's I love so him. great. Not so a lovely. great, so not lovely. a great human being. This Horrible movie person. is the best. I loved how you did that. Not movie. the best film. Not the best film. <laughs> it, really kind of shitty, but still, oh, it's such a great film. People are gonna love it. They're gonna. Be oh great. my god, it's, it's gonna kill. So, it's a roller coaster of shit. It's gonna kill in Boise. The, yeah, <laughs> I can't believe you're making films, but yeah, it was great. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's um, that is interesting. No, I gotta say, I really seeing uh, this movie again really was uh, 
Close Encounters was really Close great. Encounters was great. You know what was interesting? Just, it, it has always been my favorite film, and I kind of realized, because it's personal and it's real. It and when, feels real. And when like I, I said, when I watch it, I feel like I'm watching the moon landing. You know what yeah. I mean? Because like I've seen it so many times and it feels historic. <laughs> you know, like like I feel like this actually happened. Uh, actually, no, it didn't. Dan says what happen. we're saying is beautiful. I tell you exactly what the dog like hope for this film. I wish I could be in it, but you guys are saying is beautiful. This is all Morse code and I'm translating, folks, and yeah. listening. And then he also says it might be the best podcast. I wish we can get his audio back, man. I know. Well, you know why it's so good? Because, because I had Chardonnay. Because, because we don't have Xanax? his audio. Because oh. his audio kind of <laughs> ruins the podcast. Chardonnay, Chardonnay with Xanax equals good podcast. <laughs> it's that Chardonnay-Xanax combination that just makes a kick and rockin' podcast. So try it today. I love it. I, um, love it. I am wild card today, but You're it's doing fun. Great. Hey, you're doing great. And uh, I actually like uh, typing Dan. I wasn't too. kidding. What? <laughs> I like typing. Typing. Typing Dan's pretty good. It's like a peanut gallery over here. Even though really he's like, like I really want his voice on this as well. But we'll. Figure he's it. typing. What if we hired like I had just brought like a Thai girl in to speak in Thai, but to translate what he's saying, just to make it uh, absolutely crazy. Like, wait, Morse code to Thai. Oh, like, 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 what's up, Tiger Lily? Like, That's like right. if she could, yes. Yeah. Unbelievable. Oh. You want to know what's unbelievable? Mr. Detron says, ha, ha, ha. It's true. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> that was terrible. The amazing egg salad. Oh, yeah. That's good. The amazing egg salad. By the way, I have to say, and I'm going to toot my own horn here, Chris, and you know I don't do that. And I want to be very sincere with all our listeners, all six, that it is essentially my grizzly man images, I think, are probably the one with me on the bear and Dan with the bear. Dan with the bear is so genius. I was like, I don't know where I came up with that. I don't but know it, where you came up. Those are your, your grizzly bear images are fantastic. The one with me, Putin, Nancy shot me in the backyard. It was like a perfect match. I was like, oh, my God, that's me. And that's kind yeah. of like my chest. And maybe I should do a Putin-Eric chest comparison in it. <laughs> Right for Instagram, like I have nipples like Putin. Who has ever said that? My nipples are like Putin's nipples. That's a big thing. I think I can hit Instagram and get like two million followers. Yes. Right. Great. I think. Great I think a, 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 a my my nipples versus Putin nipples uh, as as a as an internet challenge would be really good. Really good. <laughs> My God, you both have puffy nipples for men. That's incredible. <laughs> Soviet dictator and an artist from Los Angeles. It's uncanny. Uh, Dan's like, <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Putin's going to have to assassinate. Uh, <laughs> I have you assassinated out of jealousy for those nipples. That's right. It's true. <laughs> it's yeah. like, that's unbelievable, that bear shot. So, 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 so would you, going on top of... Uh, of of Putin's body in those pictures uh, qualify as revenge porn <laughs> in could, some way. It could very Reverse well. revenge porn, where you're basically stealing his body and putting your face on top. I know. I could get like, in trouble where, where for Putin this. is jealous of your body instead of 
like, oh, I can't believe he used no, me, you know. I'd say, Vlad, that's your body, okay? <laughs> like, that's my head and mane. Yeah, and I, was like, I can't believe they used my body for, I have to for, say, for evil. I look beautiful in that shot with the, with the shoulders and the bear responding and the water all over mm-hmm. the place. Uh, yeah. Chris, yours was pretty good, too, I got to say. I know. When you said you wanted someone sitting in the background. And, yeah. uh, you don't I like that like, one. No, I loved it. I know. I was like, that's good. <laughs> and you said, it's like, you want someone sitting in the background. And I said, okay. And I had Lily with my phone or her phone or whoever it was. And I was like, all right, I can take a picture of me in the backyard. And I have to be sitting in the background in the grass. And I basically put on the, the, the most coquettish. Yeah. It's Chris uh, and chocolate. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 very coquettish. I actually was being respectful because I don't want to make fun of him because he suffered, but at the same time, that's the only image. The rest of them are just us playing around with bears, right? If you notice, and then yeah. Dan out of the water is genius. Thank you, Dan. Dan coming out of the water, it just yeah. It, I, I really Magical. gotta say, guys, go to martinigiant.com, go to the gallery section, or more specifically, go to the grizzly bear episode click on the gallery section and look up dan shirtless coming out of the water hey guapo wet with wet hair mm. and mm. what's funny um is i was showing karen your mock-ups where you basically took all the stills uh <laughs> dan said or just google dan Thron nude bear <laughs> exactly <laughs> I'm not gonna even finish that story because I don't think I can top that. That was good. <laughs> Just Google Dan Thrott nude bear. <laughs> we this is a first for a podcast. I'm saying he's chatting in. It'd I know. I love great. it. I'm loving it. I love it. We should have. You know what we should do? I really wish we could do a podcast where people. Well, you know. What if you could do, do a voice this on Twitch? Yeah, but we a should... voice, I know, and a voice translation, a software, it talks like this and it pretends it's Dan. Right. <laughs> I agree with you. This moment in the third act. <laughs> it's like, that's Dan. That yeah. would be awesome. Right, Dan? Thumbs up. Don't hate Chris. He's a good guy. Monk mail voice. Monk mail? Monk I don't mail. know what monk mail is. Is this one of your... Monkey mail? I don't know what monkey mail is. This is one of Dan's things. He does strange stuff. Yeah. Look, I respect him. You do whatever he wants in his private I'm glad... So so just people know. So so, uh, somehow Close Encounters came up as the film that we were going to talk about, which I was super excited about. And then he juxtaposed it with... Oh, gosh. Dan, what's the name of the movie? The Van Gogh movie, The Schnabel. And I got that movie. Schnabel movie. What's the name of the movie, though? Eternity. Turned at eternity's gate, gates, right, yeah. or something like that, right? At eternity's something. Anyway, um, uh, yeah. Anyway, so that was his pairing, and I'm like, okay, great. So I was like, oh, you want me to watch Close Encounters? Done. I will do that seven times, right? And so I watch it, love it, and I watch it, you know, twice, just like you. I watched it twice. I loved it. By the way, that was. Uh, because I watched it on, I, I used Google play to watch it for some reason. Uh, cause I just pick a random device that happens to be open on my computer. And, uh, my computer is the only device in my house. Uh, well, it's one of the only devices that has 4k. So I don't, my TV is not 4k. I just don't bother upgrading my 4k TVs. So I ended up watching 
uh, uh, Close Encounters at 4K for the first time on my wow. on my laptop, and the, my laptop's got an amazing screen, so it's really good. The Razor, not yes, and so I was like, oh, it looks amazing, mean, right? Step back a second. Not yes. What's that? Well, I have met. I have several. I have a lot of computers in my house right now. I'm sorry. You're showing off. That's great. Show off. We don't oh, have that I can talk to you. I can talk about this real quick. I have a I have a computer at my house that was a prototype by Lenovo. That's what I, I want to know the name of. What is it? It's uh, it's uh, it's called it's a Lenovo ThinkPad 620, okay. and uh, it's got it's got the new uh, AMD Threadripper Pro in it. The U, got, huh? The 620U. Uh, 620. No, 620. I think it's just the P620 is what it's called. Uh, but it's got uh, 64 cores, 128 threads on a single CPU. Oh. On a single CPU. No, this is a box, not a laptop. No. Nope. This is I... not a laptop. This is a computer computer. This is a ThinkPad. No. Nope. Nope. Talk to me, baby doll. What is it? It's beautiful. I. It's 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 the fastest... CPU I know this is my. Tested. What is it? A P? What? I. What is it called again? Say it again. I'm not Lenovo smart. ThinkStation P620. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, sexy time, baby. Anyway, P620. Uh, yeah. Well, we can talk about the hardware okay. later. Uh, uh, hmm. That looks good. Uh, anyway, so we are. We are uh, uh, watching on on my laptop. I forgot which one it is, but I think it might have been the Razer I was watching on. I was like, "Oh, it looks beautiful." But the thing is, like, even at 4K, suddenly, like, I can see all the grain so much that it it doesn't feel sharp. Like, I can see the unsharpness of the film at 4K, and so I was like, I almost wished it was at you know, HD version, because then I wouldn't be distracted by the graininess of the film in some ways. Although I love film grain, it just, it just felt like, I, imagine super eight, like, like, uh, or, 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 or um, close encounters feeling like a 16 millimeter film. That's what it felt like, which was strange. Uh, but anyway, I was watching it and I, and I, and I, and I loved it, but, uh I even forgot where the conversation was going on this. Whatever. Anyway, good, good. I, oh, right. Now I remember. So he basically told me to watch this film, and we were, I watched uh, uh, Close Encounters. And then uh, after that happened, uh, uh, I decided, uh, you know, I'm going to watch the, the Schnabel film. And uh, it's not available for rent. <laughs> So he's like, oh, you have to. And then so he's like, oh, yeah, it's not available for rent. So we basically had to ask Eric either pick another pair or pick another pairing for Close Encounters. And when he picked this film, I was like. I didn't pick okay. this film. Dan did. Dan did, yeah. And and when he did, I was like, okay. So and good pairing. It's an excellent pairing. I love it when we do things like this, when we do things like that. And the other one I loved is, is the um, – uh, the Godzilla uh, Runaway Train version. That, that was, was awesome. That, that was, was brilliant. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I really like those. Um, we got it. What's the next one though? Is the 
question. I feel like I am under a challenge to come up with a really good pairing, and I don't think I could be as as uh, I don't know if I can be as good as you guys. Dan is going to pick the next one, or no, he's I... picked this one. All right, so I'll it's pick my it's one. my it's my my problem right now to deal with it. Honestly speaking, um, yeah. Well, right now this is. This was a good one, though. I got to say, I really like Dan's recommendation for this um, documentary. I wish was he was some... here. It would be nice if he was oh, here. Oh, I don't. I dislike him. <laughs> oh. oh, wait. He's still on. He's uh, still on chat. Yeah. Uh. Oh, he says, uh, he says, he's like, he says, uh, uh, I do like pairings. Oh, he also said, uh, I've also Let's been do that. Of, I've also been doing Amazon watch party for any listeners that want to join via Twitter. Yes. You, you can add up to 100 people watching. Let's do that. Well, if someone can figure out how to get that done, I we can totally do it. I will. That is my goal. All right. All right. Oh, my God. That's a great idea. Dan? You guys are going to pick something really stupid. No. By the way, everyone go and join Criterion. It is worth the money. Isn't it's, it? Oh, my God. It's just like Western noir can't beat it man there's it's like i could just literally watch it forever and ever so beautiful mm. so beautiful it's a great so many cool films so i highly recommend it and don't watch zohan or whatever i watched because that was really the death of hope i can't believe people put money up for that kind of crap zohan oh it was uh, what is Adam that? Sandler plays a hairstylist. It, oh, that you did not watch that movie. I watched that. It was the death of hope. It really, I think it took it took years off my life or memories of my childhood. Something I lost something, and I'm I'm not sure. I can't remember what I lost, but I lost something, and uh, it's bad. It really is depressing too uh, that people make money. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah, mm, those things mm. got greenlit because there's like, well, what else? Are it's a money maker. He's a genius. Yeah, we're just gonna have Adam Sandler, and he's gonna do he's a whatever the fuck he wants. That's right. And and uh, there you go. Yeah, Ishtar was the same concept, um, but yeah, it's it was depressing because it really didn't make sense, and it was not funny. And I right. was, and it looked big budget, so it's like, wow, a lot of money was spent making this. Um, but yeah, it's good to see good films and or attempts at good films. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even if it was an attempting to make a good film, you feel good. And you can see an artist grow. But when you see other movies, it's like, eh, I think he just conned me. But, and what's, I'd like to what, see the new Hollywood come out soon after this. What's your, what's your daughter watching these days? She watches movies with me. And we watch this, we watch, uh, she loves Criterion. She loves like Orson Welles films. And she also, uh, we sit and draw together and right. we watch movies. And she is an amazing artist, OliviaSheila.com. She is, yep. And uh, She's got an Instagram and an art station too. I told you to get the art station for her. She belongs to that now. And so yeah. I basically, the last thing we saw, she loves movies like, uh, we always equate like, uh, 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 Michael Caine in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, those type of comedies. Oh, right. So she's into the comedies, and we always quote those. 
But we watched, we mix it up. But the Sharknado she watched, and I understood it. We made a ton of money, but uh, I think tonight we're going to watch, pull something old. She likes black and white films. Right. Which is good. Okay, so so we've watched since, so uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, you know, uh, December 31st on Netflix, um, Frasier was taken off of Netflix. And that was a big traumatic thing for Brady uh, because he loves Frasier. And so then they brought it back somehow just around the pandemic. It came back. So since March, we we have watched all of Frasier, all 12 seasons twice. Wow. Yeah, he watches it a lot. He loves Frasier. So I think he's actually seen all of Frasier, like all 12 seasons He's watched it, I think, like eight times, which is insane. That, like, that's, that's, and he's, but he's kind of an old soul. You know, Brady is kind of like, he's got a, he's got that, 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 that old soul feeling to it. But Lily, um, Lily has gotten into anime and she's really into anime. And she's introduced us to some, she's like, she's telling us these stories like, you know, because she'll just like like sample a whole bunch of them on 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 whatever she finds on streaming, and she's telling us these stories, and she's this is like some of these are really messed up, and I'm like, th- at the same time, it's like that sounds kind of awesome. So I love the fact that they're exposing themselves to so many different things. You know, so if if Brady wants to watch Frasier and and get all of these little innuendos and little jokes, that's great. By the way, his sense of humor is like top notch and i know it is because he gets all the little subtleties because he's been watching Frasier so much right like his he he can pick up jokes that no one else can like he's really good at that stuff and his sense of humor is extremely mature for an 11 year old yeah <laughs> extremely mature um and uh it's it's quite funny so yeah it's good it's a nice yeah. sign but you guys, and, and, you both are very smart and funny too, you and your wife. So, uh, so it's it, not to be it's not you and your wife, but the point, Karen and yourself. So it's yeah. not like it's a far thing. I mean, your kids are bright and energetic and well, creative. Well, I don't. We don't treat them. We don't treat them like kids, right? We treat them like a member of the household, right? And <laughs> do you have good. them like replace the roof and stuff like that? Well, no. They get, listen. We're in the pandemic. We're all living in this house together, right? They 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 make their own lunch. Brady's ten. He's like, you want lunch? Go in the fridge, find out what's left over, get that. You know, I'm not making you lunch. That's good. <laughs> I'm working. That's right. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah. And so he's like, all right, fine. And so he like this, you know, this, I I I was working and I turned around. Brady had microwaved himself some chicken and some leftover mashed potatoes and cut up some vegetables and he's eating lunch and watching Frasier at the, uh, you know, while he's having lunch and I'm working. So like, fine, <laughs> that's pretty good. Like, I don't mind that. I'm pretty no. happy about that. That's good. Yeah. Um, Olivia's half that sometimes we make it, sometimes she does, but it's, right. it's gotta, it's gotta change. Well, it's- sometimes like Brady wants me to make him his special grilled cheese sandwich because apparently I make the grilled cheese sandwich that he prays. Yeah, here's a story. Yeah. We, Olivia was like, 
my horse needs new horseshoes. And I said, you know what? You're going to have to go out there and pretend you're an ironmonger and uh -huh. make the horseshoes out of iron in the back. She's pounding with a hammer. And it, you know, she learns. She learns. She learns, right? That's, that's the thing, right? That's like you thing. have to learn ironworking if you're going that's to right. make it in this world. That's right. So yeah. for me, I feel like I'm a good parent. You know, my kid makes yeah. their own horseshoes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, listen, the thing is, you're still a, you're still a parent. You're going to give her, you're going to give her the ointment when she burns herself on the smell. That's right. So, that's right. So, like so you'll, you'll be there for her when she burns herself. But, that's right. But, but, but at the same time that, you know, you've got to, you know, eventually she's going to learn to, that when she, when she sells enough horseshoes, she can buy her own ointment. That's yeah. right. That's right. Those are the lessons you learn. My kid, my kid circa 1890.com. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, <clears throat> sometimes it's, you got to rattle the cage a little bit because yeah. they get back into the lazy mode or like, Hey, I want this. Like, hey, there's a whole, yeah. Make it well, yourself. There's a, there's a whole lot of, uh, it's hard for them though, you know, because they're locked in this house and they're not in. I understand. And that's why. I'm, and that's it's, why and, being, you know, yeah. luckily Brady, Brady's interacting with his friends a lot and it's all through video games. It's, it's basically like he just goes on his video games and he talks to all his friends constantly right and i can't fault him i can't like you're playing too many video games like yeah i know dude, it's the it's only interaction he has with other people outside his household i, I can't stop that it stinks you know? i i know a friend of mine is uh i talked to him and he's having problems with the kids and i realized because everyone's locked up and i i realized it's like we're not the only ones it was really hard talking to him yesterday yeah de dealing with all this stuff i'm like oh that's right it's just across the board Mm -hmm. everyone's dealing with you know and then at the same time everyone's dealing with differently you know like you have people that are that are single and living alone yep. and they have no one to talk to at all right oh i know that yeah i know and some that's people like really that. challenging for them too it's really really challenging particularly if they like to go out to dinner and meet people all the time yeah i know they're like they got their routine to go to a coffee shop or whatever no that's gone it's gone so they can't meet people. So it's uh, that's why you have to listen to podcasts, particularly have about to, movies. Have to, have to, have to, and about movies because otherwise you'll just. Yeah. Have you listened to any other cool podcasts? No, no, you don't I listen to podcasts. No, I watch movies or I watch tutorials on like art. It's funny because you're on a podcast right now, but you don't I know. But that. I think we've ta I've talked about this. If I start to learn, like, oh, what's better for a podcast? I think I'll stop being, um, just being okay at doing this right do you know what i mean it's like i don't want to mess it up i feel like and you're, it's not a lazy thing it's just i pursue my art i i take don't drawing worry courses it. i you're I, you're killing it dan dan if you're still on you can type am, am i right that, that eric's killing it on the podcast right now he's totally killing. i just if i listen to myself i just feel like yes, I'll he start, says you're killing it yeah yeah i i will i will start to act like i'm trying to do the podcast and that's bad you're not doing the podcast. It's just like great. you, you said, gotta go okay, on stage. I remember, you remember, remember last week? Remember last week or whatever it was? We recorded a podcast, and I said we haven't had enough banter back and forth. By the way, we're killing it on this episode in terms of banter. And you're like, well, let's go back and record, and I'll sell some jokes. It's like, don't, no, just That's forget it. about it. Just be yourself. You're doing fine. Um, the podcast. What, a couple of interesting podcasts I've listened. I've been listening to is one is uh, about entrepreneurship. Oh, which one is that? It's called uh, Zero to IPO. And it's basically about people in the dot-com era who are like yeah. 
taking their ideas and, and going somewhere. It's pretty good. I like it. I, I like that one a lot. I'm going to listen to that. Yeah. That is interesting. Uh, and then another one I've listened to recently that I like is... Oh, this is a fishing one called Barbless, but you're not going to be interested in that. <laughs> well, that's the thing that's cool, right? You can find a podcast about whatever the hell you want. Dude, I've been watched following this guy on YouTube. Yeah. And he basically sits in front of the camera. and He's a great player. And he plays cuts from Rolling Stone's Black and Blue album, 74, with Mick Taylor's uh -huh. guitar leads. And he breaks them all down. And I just look at it and like I follow it with my guitar. Like, I got it. It's unbelievable. Eye-opening. How crazy is YouTube? He literally sits in front and you don't see his face. And he just plays note by note exactly what Mick Taylor of the Stones was playing from like 68 through 74. It's just like mind-blowing. And I wrote to somebody who's a musician I know, Ted. And I said, imagine if we had this as kids. I mean, it's unbelievable. I used to stick corks on my record player to slow it down so I can listen to James Honeyman Scott and the Pretenders right. learn the notes. You know? It's like YouTube. Just go there and like, boom, I pick up a song. Dude, I... I know no one's going to relate to this, but I'm going to tell you it's similar. I'm, I'm tying flies. You saw flies. Flashdance and you were like, no, I, I want I am tying flies. I am tying flies. And these are like, you know, kind of an important thing. And there's a very, very common uh, fly called uh that, that is very well used as a as a fish emulator called the the, the clouser minnow right oh my god <laughs> sounds right? like gerbils right? it's called the clouser minnow <laughs> and and uh and uh the question clouser is which one is a better challenge. which one is a better fish imitation is it a clouser minnow or a lefty de deceiver but i watched a youtube video of bob clouser yeah. tying yeah, there you go. a Clouser minnow. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. And then he shows you step by step about how he does it. And I, I did it. And they're like, oh my God, that's a perfect Clouser minnow. I was like, yeah, because I did exactly what Bob Clouser told me to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. Isn't that you know? crazy? And so I'm like, it's like you watching, you know, Mick Jagger or whoever. Like, this guy playing Mick Taylor who played lead guitar for them. Mick Taylor, time. like playing guitar, like this is how I play this song, you know, and like, oh, this is how I do it, right? Not only and, through that, just so you know, and Dan, I don't know if you're listening or not, but, and I interrupted Chris, my apologies. Do you want to continue or do you want me to finish? No, it's fine. This guy, speaking of music, also and, did and, a guy, did a thing on Wayne Perkins, and you're like, who's Wayne Perkins? Who's Which Wayne is Wayne Perkins? And I said, who's Wayne Perkins? And I'm like, wait a minute, how do I know that name? He played lead guitar for Bob Marley and the Whalers. This is white guy from Alabama went down to Jamaica and did all the lead tracks. Wow. And, and I started following like his work and I was like, I never knew. And apparently, and he says in an interview, he's still alive, that Chris Blackwell, who produced it for Island Records, because that was his record company, was like, it, the reggae rhythm, which is like, you know, the police, Stu Copeland ripped it off, but you know, that offset rhythm that snap and crack of reggae of like uh -huh. the sticks on the edge of your snare and that beat he's like you got to turn it off because the concept of recording was so foreign the concept of that rhythm was so foreign to western art 
or his work can you at hear me? that time that they had to like, can you hear me? turn it off. Can my voice? It was distracting. Hey, hey, hey you're Dan. Dan's See if it lasts. Back. See if it lasts. <laughs> oh, yes! yeah! Very exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it was lovely, man. I was in the sidelines and it was great. <laughs> hey, how did we do without you? We did perfect. all right. <laughs> that sounds like a Lita Ford song. <laughs> anyway, the point is, Chris, just to wrap up the Wayne Perkins, it's a white guy from Alabama playing lead guitar for Bob Marley before Bob Marley was famous. That's like a wow. movie. And, yeah. But the music was so different to him that he's like, I can't listen to the whole thing and play lead guitar because I can't understand this music. It's really weird and the beats are off. So shut it all off. Just give me a bass line and I'll do it. Right. And that's unbelievable. I never knew that. But that's how foreign reggae was, man. You know, like in early 70s. Yeah. Interesting. But that's YouTube. And my point was, it's a rabbit hole of knowledge that I never had as a kid. You have to go to record stores and connect the dots, reading the, the, the credits. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting. Like the whole YouTube thing is like so much you could learn about stuff. Like now, I just like YouTube is. Do you, do you know that YouTube is the second largest search engine? Wow. Because people just look up. Like I want a video that shows me how to repair, you know, uh, the, the the my windowsill or whatever it is. You know that's what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like you just look it up on YouTube, and and that's that's where you find this information. So. But if we circle back, by the way, mm -hmm. yep. Yep. If I'm we here. circle back and I no, hear typing, that, I, is Dan still I was on? just looking up at yep. Dan? He's typing. We can hear you. Hi. Hey, hi, hi Dan from Los Angeles. So here's the thing. If we circle back, Wayne Perkins. Wayne Perkins. Did you look uh, him up? My <clears> internet <throat> is slow. Right? Dark hair? Dan? It's just a delay. It's just a delay. Yeah, but I just, I didn't know about him. And, but the point is, what YouTube doesn't give you is what they talked about in the movie, uh, um, the, the Ethan Hawke movie, is that it's a consistent practice and dedication. Right. Yep. So it's not going to give us the next this or that unless it's a committed. It's a great resource, though. Did I get the name wrong? I'm almost sure it's... I couldn't... Wayne Perkins. Did you look it up, Dan? Yeah. Alabama. It. Right? Go. He's got an Asian wife, too. Amazing. Yeah, man. Unbelievable. I'm rambling, but I'm having a good time. No, it's good. It's good. I feel like I need to wrap it up because we keep losing, and it's going to be a nightmare to get this going. And Dan, are you can you can we hear your voice? Nope, can't hear your voice this time. Darn it. Okay. And so but, before you guys all go, if you want to hear great Wayne Perkins, mm -hmm. the hand of fate. Rolling, the hand of the fate. Rolling Stones from Black and Blue album. Okay. Great guitar solo. And that's Wayne. Alright. So listen to that. Um, Dan, it's good having a podcast with you. Uh, who's picking the next movie? I think I have to pick the next movie. Okay. I think that's my responsibility. Okay. So I will do that. I did I did Brainstorm and then you did he did Grizzly Man and then you did Godzilla and then this came up 
and then so now I have to. I think I have to do the next. I one. thought it was a good podcast. There's some stitching to do, but the patient uh, this is going to be a nightmare to no, stitch hit recording. That's again. a great sound though. Yeah. Um, All right. So if I if you say drink and I go talk and it goes pew. Yeah. <laughs> that's got to be it for the end. <laughs> drink talk pew. <laughs> That's the uh, end of the <laughs> Yeah. All right. We'll do that. So, Eric, uh, Dan, Dan can't, uh, Dan, Dan, Dan can't uh, actually talk right now because his internet's not working. <laughs> so we're gonna go ahead, and I'm gonna do the drink, and then you'll do the talk, and then I'll just put a pew for, for Thrawn. All right. You ready? Let's wrap uh, it up. Uh, it was uh, great, guys. We love you. You ready? Love you. Drink. Talk. Dude.